And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. We broadcast live each and every weeknight from 7 to 10 Eastern on the Global Star Radio Network. We're also simulcast on Blog Talk Radio. You can watch us live. I suspect tonight is a good night to do that right here on YouTube Live on our official YouTube channel. The links to each audio video venue. Uh, they're listed at hagmanandhagman.com. Folks, don't forget we've got uh, a number of different websites. Hagmanandhagman.com is our show website. There, every night you can catch the video, as well as past videos in hagmanreport.com, which is for a summary of articles, a collection of articles and news that we find important for you to take notice and I'm Doug Hagman with fellow investigator Joe Hagman. Together, we are the Hagman and Hagman Report, where we dig deep into topics that the mass media won't. We've got a good program lined up for you tonight. First hour, news, information, analysis, our analysis of the news. Second and third hours, we have a very special guest coming on, Mr. Jerry Robinson. He's an economist, and he's going to be talking about the state of the economy, where we stand with that. Joe, toss it over to you. Yeah, we got a, a lot to get into tonight. Jerry, as I said, Jerry Robinson, follow the money daily. That's ftmdaily.com, uh, is his website. He's going to be with us for hours two and three to talk about the economic chaos we see, the currency destabilization, and just the overall, uh, war on cash, war on currencies, war on economies, uh, being waged by the central banks and those in control of them. Uh, we got a host of other issues to get into, from the presidential race to skewed polling to the death of uh, Scalia. Yeah, still. yeah, and I've got a lot of information about that. And terrorism in Turkey. Terrorists hit Turkey today. Uh, I don't know if you saw this headline, but we'll be talking about this a little bit later in the hour. 28 dead at least and 61 injured as a blast hits a military bus in the Turkish capital of Ankara. Ankara, or Ankara, and 28 people were killed, 61 in a car explosion. The Turkey's deputy prime minister said the blast happened in close proximity to the Turkish parliament building and reportedly target, targeted Turkey military personnel. Um, this and more terrorism news we will have later. Um, but let's open with you know, Scalia. Be, yeah, before we get started, I want to remind everyone that Portions of the nice broadcast brought to you by nuts.com. Are we nuts? We should be. I think we are. 
nuts.com. It's a great website, folks, for snacks, all sorts of goodies. If you're hungry during the day, like us, where we have really hardly any time to leave the office, well, nuts.com. And this is your answer. It's your answer. It's an incredible website that has all sorts of, well, they've got over 3,000 healthy snacks that cater to any diet, any diet, any diet restriction, in, in Including, I mean, such products like dried fruits, apricots, figs, dates, strawberries, sweet treats, and so on. Um, again, options for all diets. And uh, we have a special offer for our listeners, new customers right now. Get four free samples at nuts.com by using our microphone code HH in the mic box. Uh, and as Joe said, we've got a lot of information. And, and Scalia, the situation there is intense and news came out today that the the president obama will not be attending scalia's funeral i don't know what the precedent for these kind of things are but um he will not be um on the at the funeral on saturday which seems what is he gonna be on the front nine back nine what (laughs) it didn't say they said that he would be viewing the body at a uh, service on friday um but he would not be at the funeral Saturday. <laughs> All right. Well, for those of you uh, folks, I, I, ha- I, d- I did a video. It's a twenty. It's a twenty-four minute video that, that really takes you from the death of uh, Scalia to the circumstances surrounding uh, the ramifications of his death. Now, if you want to get into this, Joe, right now, I can do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me start from the beginning. And, and I'm just going to toss out some numbers to you, folks. 32. 32. That's the percentage of people who never heard the name Anton and Scalia. 32%. 79. That's the percentage of people. Polled by a conservative website, 40,000 people, 79% of that 49 or 40,000 group believe that there is some sort of nefarious activity with respect to the death of Scalia. 54 is the number of Republican senators. 24 is the number of Republican senators up for re-election in 2016. Now, these numbers all come together. Four, that's the number of senators need number of uh, Republican senators, if you're, if you're following the right-left paradigm, Republican-Democrat paradigm, four is the number of Republican senators that, that need to be unseated in order to, for the Democrats to have a tie in the Senate. And again, if, if, if you're following the the mainstream right-left paradigm, that's, these numbers are significant to you. Five would be the number uh, for a change in the balance of power in the Senate. Six. Well, that number is the number of administrations who had a vacancy in the Supreme Court during the 20th century, so this is not unprecedented. And uh, 35, that's the number of cases right now under review by this Supreme Court. And that includes, well, that that includes the situation without uh, Scalia. Um, seven of those cases are deemed to be pretty important, very important. Twenty, 
That's another number out there for you. That's the number of law enforcement officers who accompanied Scalia's body to the funeral home from the ranch. Three and a half hour drive. <sighs> Folks, let's just go over this real quick. Friday, Ant- Antonin Scalia travels to the Cibolo Ranch, Cibolo Creek Ranch in Texas, upscale ranch owned by a guy by the name of John Poindexter. Not the same Poindexter as Iran-Contra. I've seen this, and it's not the same guy. All right, It's a Texas businessman. He's, he's a wealthy businessman. And he happens to be a top Obama donor. Yeah. In fact, there are photographs of Poindexter, the owner of the Cibolo Texas Ranch, shaking hands with Obama and getting a medal of, well, it's a presidential medal that a lot of donors receive. All right, so Friday, Antonin Scalia travels to the Texas ranch, Cibolo Ranch in Texas, enters an 11,000-square-foot presidential suite, attends uh, during the afternoon. He uh, he attends, a uh, as an observer, a quail hunt. He's one of about 30 people at this private party at this ranch. Friday evening, after this quail hunt, he joins the others for dinner. He's very animated. He's very happy. He seems to be his old self. About 9.30, 9.30, he says, look, man, it's been a long week. It's been a long day. I'm going to go hit the rack, and he retires to his bedroom. And that's the last anyone saw of him. And I'm just re- just kind of recounting what the, what the deal is here. About 8.15 the next morning, John Poindexter and Scalia's friend knock on his door no answer hey he's a supreme court justice (laughs) let him sleep he's tired so poindexter and and his scalia's buddy they they leave and do whatever they do and come back about 11 15 and this time notice that he's obviously conspicuously absent so they pound on his door some more vigorously this time now upon not Scalia not answering the door. They go around to the other side, the other part of the other door, and enter the room. Now, it's unclear whether they used a key or whether it was open or what the deal was, assuming, given the fact that Poindexter owned the place, he had a key. I mean, they didn't have to break the door down. So they enter in there, and obviously Poindexter says, you know what, he's laying down in face up on the bed in unwrinkled bed clothes. And there's a pillow on top of his head. Now, that statement right there, it's open for interpretation, open for discussion. However, in the investigative field, Joe and I have interviewed enough witnesses. I've talked to enough witnesses in my 30 years as an investigator. You don't open with, hey, there's a pillow over his head or on his head or, you know, whatever. If there was a pillow sitting above the head of Scalia instead of on his head or on his face. It would never have been mentioned in the exactly, first place. Exactly, exactly. So those people saying, well, you know, it's between the headboard and the, his top of his head. No, a guy, somebody, if you find a dead body, let me tell you something. The first thing you're not, you're not going to say, guess what? There's a pillow between his head and the headboard. It's just not going to happen. So these, 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 People who just go off and they say, oh, it's between the headboard and his head, and so quit making so much about it. Are you kidding me? I'm just messing with the cameras there. Are you kidding me? Really? 
You're not going to say a flipping word about it. It's going to be a non-issue. So cut the crap. All right. So anyway, and, and I, I watch these these otherwise reasonable and apparently sensible people typing away, say, "Well, you know, it was between uh, and my girlfriend. She sleeps with a pillow on her head." Yeah. All right. We're talking about a, a, a body, a corpse here at a potential crime scene. So shut up. Alrighty. All right. Sorry. It's just got twitches, little things, you know. All right. So anyway, obviously, and, and the other thing too, there's reports of bruises. How, how many people have seen those reports about bruises? Have you seen those? No. Joe, have you seen them? No. All right. No. <laughs> well, all right. Where were their bruises? Well, people have said, "Oh, we we've we've seen uh, we've seen bruises uh, on the body." Hang on, let me do something here. Yeah. Uh, no, people saying yeah, there are bruises on the bottle. Look, look, folks. When when you pass away, when a person passes away, and if a body's been in a state, if you look at, a, I don't want to get graphic here. The blood settles. It's called liver mortis. All right, and, and it would appear like it, it would appear like black and blue. It would have bruise like uh, um, characteristics. Right. If he died on his back, the the back of him, the blood would settle. Uh, you know, as gravity, the laws of gravity, the the blood would settle in, in the backside or or back half of him, which would make it look black and blue on, right. on the back side of his back but see, his legs. And, so some people were saying that there were, there were obvious, and I can't get any confirmation on this. Nobody's talking down there in Texas. Everyone's, everyone just doesn't want to talk. So, Well, the medical examiner from the marshal's office didn't even show up. So, Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Well, see, the bottom line is, if there are bruises on his chest or apparent bruises on his chest, that would that would tell me. That would tell me. Revival? No. Flipping the guy over after after oh, he was dead, okay. but but okay. So somebody supposedly no one touched his body. All right, but but here is the ultimate thing. It doesn't. We we could we could speculate all day long. You know what would have been really good if somebody would have done their job. See, here is the issue. Title one. The Code of Criminal Procedure, Chapter 49, Subchapter A of Texas Law states, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, you can look this up, you, you come across a dead body, there's a protocol to follow. Follow the damn law! And I don't care if your name is Cinderella. You follow the law! How hard is it to follow procedure? You see, people, look, we're being gamed. We are being gamed. All right. So, Poindexter and his friend walk in there. They, they find him. And, uh, again, this is about 11.15 uh, local time, according to the witness statements. So they get they get Cinderella on the phone because they couldn't get the two other county judges. Cinderella is a county judge over there in uh, Presidio County. To get her on the phone. I mean, so look, if I would have done this, I, I wouldn't have a job. I mean, if this would have been me, no. A crime scene? Are you kidding me? Anyway, so so looking for a, a judge on Saturday morning, apparently they're all, you know, Amarillo or uh, what are those armadillo hunting or whatever they do, feeding their armadillos there in Texas. So they, you can't find anybody. Cinderella's out there shopping at the mall in Alpine. Get a hold of her. 
and uh, I don't know how the call was made, but bottom line, she you know she's having a problem twenty minutes trying to communicate on these stupid cell phones. And anyway, she said, "Oh, really? You know, Supreme Court justice uh, dead in, in our county. This is going to be history. See, this is going to be this is important history now." Now she realizes that she realizes that, so she must realize as a county judge, she must realize that the next few things that are going to happen that it's going to be historically important unless unless she doesn't care or unless she's so rock solid stupid or she was warned or she was warned or well i don't know or she was looking for a glass slipper i don't know what she was doing but okay so let's give her the benefit of the doubt so uh, uh, u.s marshal and uh and uh the sheriff was there I, I don't know how they summoned the marshal and the sheriff, but suddenly they came. So they're there, and, and they say, hey, you know what? Everything looks, uh, hey, it looks like he just uh, vapor-locked, assumed room temperature during his sleep. It's all fine. He looks fine. You know, uh, well, you know. so she was kind of concerned about an autopsy. No, no autopsy. No no worries. If you say it's fine, it's fine. And guess what? I'm just going to stay shopping. I'm not even going to go by. You know what? Just handle it. It's it's one of the biggest things that ever happened in Presidio County in the history. But handle it guys go ahead all right so that's what they do okay so and i'm going to go through this real quick now uh so, so the the funeral home came in took the body i'm not even sure there were any any pictures taken any drawings any nothing see under again and, and i'll just say this one more time title one uh, chapter 49 sub chapter eight that's the law for this that's what you got to look at um david knight went in today or yesterday to try to get some answers from cinderella and of course she didn't uh she was still looking for a slipper and didn't want to talk and uh anyway so um the bodies moved to the funeral home three and a half hours away, twenty by an escort of twenty law enforcement officers. I guess that must have been a parade. I don't know. Twenty law enforcement officers to to, to move the body three and a half hours. That's a hell of a price tag, isn't it? What are they seriously? Twenty? Alright, so they they get him up there. And and so Cinderella is still in the picture here. Uh, but but she wants to be sure of the, the of, of the death before she signs off on the death certificate. See, county judges can do that, okay? In Texas, it's differs by state law. You got to understand there's different state laws. But uh, investigations one on one is all the same across the board. You treat every scene of a death scene as a homicide until you prove otherwise. Anything any deviation from that, you should be fired, shot, spanked, you know, um, ridiculed, made fun of. Whatever you know, what I'm saying so you don't deviate from that, and especially when it's a Supreme Court justice. So uh, she said, "Yeah, we're gonna check with the doctor and, and just make sure everything's cool." The doctor weighs in eight o'clock local time and says everything's cool. But the problem is, and this is based on my timeline that I've gotten from people in the Texas area, he was they embalmed him in preparation for his exit out of Texas. All right, now. But see, you'd think, a reasonable person would think that he should be involved not before that conversation, but only after that conversation with the physician. Because that's the way you do things. So it was a cluster at the, at the scene, and it was a cluster afterwards, and they ship his body back to Virginia, 
and that's the deal. But so, all right, so <laughs> people wonder, well, you know, conspir- now if, if, if this was a, a, a Republican or a conservative president in there, and, and you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg assumes room temperature, do you think that the, the progressive Marxist leftist liberals, do you, do you think they have a little issue with this? Probably. Probably. I should be listening to Whole Tones Live. Portions of the nice broadcast brought to you by WholeTonesLive.com. You, mean, you know, really, not in, a, not in a happy frame of mind when you think about this. The last time a Supreme uh, Court justice, the Chief Justice, died was William Rehnquist in 2005. Right. President George Bush was the, uh, well, he was the president at the time. Not only did he attend the funeral, but he also eulogized him. Um, and now we see Obama's going to skip Scalia's funeral, and the White House cannot confirm whether or not he will be golfing on Saturday. Yeah, that, well, from a Twitter release from the White House, maybe he, maybe him and Reggie Love will be out there doing the doing the tango. All right, thirty-five is the number of cases right now before the Supreme Court. There's seven of them. What so? What difference does it make? To, just to quote Hillary Rodham, Diane, Diane Rodham Clinton. What difference does it make? Um, here's the difference, uh, and here's where here's where the rubber meets the road uh, with respect to the, uh, uh, you know, what would be the motive to 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 off uh, Scalia? Well, he he's the closest stalwart to the, the supporter of the Constitution on the Supreme Court. Um, of the 35 cases, there's a case of, regarding immigration. That's the United States v. Texas. Another case, whole woman's about abortion, whole woman's health versus coal. Some have stated whole woman's health versus uh, Hellerstedt, although it looks like it's coal and Hellerstedt is. Uh, there's two different cases here, and it's the news reporting is so sloppy on this. Uh, birth control, uh, as well. There's a uh, there's a issue there about birth control, uh, labor unions, which is in the form of Fredericks v. California Teachers Association. One person, one vote. That's in the form of uh, redistricting the plaintiffs in Evansville versus Abbott. This is a case that could effectively force many states to redraw their congressional maps. That's at issue. Affirmative action, which in, in college campuses, Fisher versus the University of Texas, is at issue. And, of course, climate change or climate uh, issues. So those are the major uh, cases right now that are in, you know, at, at issue before the court. So, all right. So, so having said all that, n- now what? What what happens to the cases that are before this before the Supreme Court right now? Uh, many say, and and I I, I respect Judge uh, Anthony, uh, Napolitano. I, I watch him, and many say the tie vote uh, in the Supreme Court lays. Uh, case will will affirm the lower court's opinion. All right. Now, many people are saying, "Hey, we argue this now without Scalia. A tie vote, four to four, would reaffirm the lower court's uh, uh, decision." Not so fast. Tie votes would most likely lead to a reargument of the case, not a reaffirmation. And we have. Uh, case precedent in the form of uh, there are a number of cases. SCOTUS blog does a good job about uh, putting this out. There were three cases in which the court heard re-arguments after a guy by the name of Harlan, John Marshall Harlan II, um, died. Um, 
back in the 50s. All right, he died of a sudden heart attack at the very beginning of the court's 1954 term, and they were without a uh, without a, a justice. And of course, they heard arguments, but then uh, no, it, it, they did not reaffirm the lower courts. Well, they did temporarily in some cases, and then brought the other cases out, reargued the cases, and then settled them uh, with finality. Um, and a couple of them were were pretty uh, were, were pretty important. Now, what about a recess? Can Obama come in there and say, you know what, I'm going to just throw in a I'm going to throw in a, a candidate because the the uh, the, the um, Senate is in recess now until the 22nd of February. So can, can he come in today, tomorrow, next day, and say, I'm going to because the Supreme Court is in recess, I'm going to use my constitutional so-called constitutional right under Article Two to appoint a Supreme Court justice in the interim. And that person, that that justice, would stay there until the end of the congressional session in January of 2017. He can do that. Think about that. Think about that for a second. He tomorrow he could say, "Hey, you know what, Eric Holder, you're going to sit in there for for uh, Antonin Scalia, and you're you're going to just be a, uh, an associate justice there until you know until the Senate does what they do." Can he do that? It's being argued right now, but it appears that to be possible, and there is case precedent for that. Would that stand? I don't think so. I think that there would be a problem, but it has, it's not without precedent. And again, a recess appointment to the court would not be, uh, necessarily be outside of the terms of Article 2, but arguably, it's questionable whether it would be in, in within the uh, sections of Article Two. What about Supreme Court vacancies in presidential election years? Yeah, I cut it seven. Uh, the Taft administration, the Wilson administration, the Hoover administration, FDR, Ronald Reagan, Eisenhower—they all had vacancies during the Supreme Court or during the uh, an election year. And in two instances in the 20th century, presidents were unable to nominate and confirm, and only two. Uh, a successor during the election year, but neither one of those situations applies to what we're seeing here. So, bottom line, what's the deal? Well, it seems like that, uh, it seems like at issue is the nominee now in place of Scalia. All along, it would, that's the motive here, or, or at least the exploitation or the, um, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste kind of mentality. Alright, so who's in the running? Real quick, I, I picked out, uh, five that, uh, uh, I see taking the center stage. The most obvious, Loretta Lynch. Some people say Eric Holder. I don't believe that. Holder's got too much baggage, personal and otherwise. I would say Loretta Lynch is in the running. Eighth Circuit Court Judge Jane Kelly is also in the running. D.C. Circuit Judge, and hey, if I screw this name up, well, sorry. I don't speak whatever language this is. Sri Isravasan. That's the South Asian judge. U.S. District Court Judge for D.C. Ketanji Brown-Jackson. It's a woman, 45. And 11th Circuit Court Judge Adalberto Jordan. Now, he's a Hispanic, and that would round up the Hispanic uh, uh, presence on the court. So the bottom line, where are we at? And just for those people who are wondering if I, you know, if I'm just lost my mind, in the New York Post, uh, retired Brooklyn homicide detective, very good reputation, Patricia Tufo, and Bill Ritchie, former D.C. Uh, police officer and uh, uh, detective, saying, you know what, this is just absolutely crazy, the whole thing. They were just mortified that there was no uh, quarters inquest and no auto- or no inquest and no uh, autopsy done. So there you have it.
So that's, uh, and that concludes my opening rant. All right. Um, did, did we help? And, and uh, folks, be sure to look at the, be sure to check out my YouTube, uh, which I laid out a little bit more professionally, I suppose. It should be up here sh- soon. Speaking so. of YouTube, yesterday we had problems with YouTube and connecting to YouTube before the show. So the show was not aired on YouTube. And, um, I just got an email, uh, just, and I want to make sure that, that I, uh, didn't do anything here. The emailer says, I found last night's show. Why did you remove it from YouTube? The show that I deleted from last night's show is a live event that never <coughs> happened. We did not upload any, uh, of the hard, uh, recording from yesterday yet, did we? No, no. Okay. It, 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 the, the, the show from yesterday is on YouTube. It's there. Okay. It is there. It just doesn't have our pretty mugs within the YouTube. Our beautiful, wonderful, well featured, chiseled featured, uh, faces on the YouTube. It's there. It's there. It's there. All right. Let me check and make sure I deleted the right one. Cause I deleted the live event that was for yesterday. Right. Uh, okay. No, that's there. That's there. Yeah. So, so just, you know, there you go. Yeah, it's uh, titled The Signpost Ahead Amerigeddon with Steve Quayle and Gary Haven on the Hagman and Hagman Report. It's four videos in if you uh, go to the, our YouTube channel and, and, and videos. Right, and, and if you look on the, if you're watching this via YouTube, just look to the right of the picture. All the options to listen, to to watch, to listen, to whatever, it's right there. Just click here. Where it says click here, just do that. If you want to listen by satellite, click there. If you want to listen to BTR, click there. If you want to watch while well, you're watching it. If you want to, whatever you want to do, if you want to listen to the archive, it's there. It's all there on the right-hand side. So we try to make it easy. Again, for those of you who are joining us late, we are going to be joined at the top of this next hour by Jerry Robinson. His website is ftmdaily.com. That's follow the money. Uh, daily.com, ftmdaily.com. And, uh, we're going to be talking about a number of things from the global economy to geopolitics, uh, the, from the Federal Reserve, um, to the possible return of quantitative easing, negative interest rates, the return of Iran on the <coughs> world economy. We're going to talk about the war on capitalism as well as the war on cash. And he says plenty to discuss regarding Europe. That in the studio yeah. email um, is the list of right. uh, talking the, points right. from Jerry. I got it. Um, be, be, before we get to that, I just want to revisit the Supreme Court issue. You know what, folks? Look, Greg Jackson was on our program, and, and he is, is very in, in tune with the, con- the United States Constitution. Well, well, here's the situation, all right? How many of us realize, you remember civics class? I mean, I, I guess they don't teach civics and, and social studies or whatever it is anymore. But, but, but the, we wouldn't have this problem if people understood that the judicial branch is, is the weakest branch of government. How many, okay, let's do a little civics class, our studio, live studio audience, and somebody, I got a lot of emails saying, do you really have a lot? No, I, we don't have anybody in here except for the studio dog. But anyway. Um, the judicial branch is really the, the 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 weakest of the three branches, and it was designed to be that way. All right, and Greg Jackson said that, uh, uh, and his study of the Constitution, all, I mean, it's set up to be that way. But think about what Lincoln said, okay? Um, if you really want to understand 
the weakness and, and the the weakness uh, intended of the Supreme Court because people think the Supreme Court makes a an opinion they decide well you've got to understand that opinion or decision is binding to the parties involved it doesn't set a precedent across the United States or was never intended to so people who say well the Supreme Court that opinion is the law of the land well constitutionally I think you're wrong it's it's one thing to act as it is and it's another thing for that to be actually the law of the land and if you don't believe me those people who, who like Lincoln well he was Lincoln Lincoln on the uh, when he was talking in his first inaugural he was talking about the immoral and unconstitutional Dred Scott opinion his first inaugural address back in 1861 I'll, I'll read this and then I'm going to I'll turn it back over to you Here, here's Lincoln about the opinion and about the Supreme Court he says I, I don't forget the position assumed by some the constitutional questions are to be decided by the Supreme Court, nor do I deny that such decisions must be binding in any case upon the parties to a suit as to the object of that suit, while they are also entitled to a very high respect and consideration in all parallel cases by the departments of the government. What he said right there was, okay, yeah, it's the, the, it's, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Uh, the, the parties... Uh, to the suit, yeah, the Supreme Court has its say. It goes on, and while it is obviously possible that such decision may be erroneous in any given case, still the evil effect following it being limited to that particular case with the chance that it may be overruled and never become a precedent for other cases can better be borne than could the evils of a different practice. Kind of saying, okay, well, it's best, you know, it's best of... Uh, Better, better, better of the worst, I guess. And then here's the here's the uh, important quote or important part of this. At the same time, the candid citizen must confess that if the policy of the government upon vital questions affecting the whole people is to be irrevocably fixed by decisions of the Supreme Court, the instant they are made in ordinary litigation between parties and personal actions, the people will have ceased to be their own rulers, having to that extent practically resigned their government into the hands of that eminent tribunal. Meaning to say, all right, if you're going to look at the Supreme Court as the deciding factor, then you know what? You made your bed, you're going to lie in it, and you're not going to like it. Because he's talking about the Dred Scott decision opinion. So, which has not been overturned, so that means, hey, African Americans, guess what? You want to follow the Supreme Court? I guess you're two-thirds of a person. I'm done. Uh, more on, on Scalia, as uh, the ranch owner clarifies how he found Scalia's body. For the second time this week, Donald Trump expressed skepticism about how uh, Supreme Court Justice Scalia died, alluding to a conspiracy theory suggesting the victim he was a victim of foul play. They said they found a pillow on his face, which was a pretty unusual place to find a pillow, Trump said during an investigation uh, or during an interview on Michael Savage's show on Tuesday. 
The conspiracy theories started shortly after Scalia's death was made public and persist despite clarifications from the owner of the ranch where Scalia died. Um, and again, this goes back to the pillow issue. The uh, correction issued uh, is as follows. The conspiracy theories kicked into high gear after the owner of the ranch where Scalia died told the Texas newspaper that Scalia had a pillow over his head. The ranch owner, Pondedexter, tried to clarify his comments, telling CBS this morning that Scalia had a pillow over his head, not over his face, as some have been saying. The pillow was against the headboard. As we talked about at the beginning of the show, if that were the case, there would be no reason for even mentioning it. That'd be like when somebody dying in bed saying they died with their head on a pillow. Or, hey, there's a box of Kleenex on the nightstand. <laughs> right. It goes on to say that there is no... Uh, signs of foul play or of a struggle and Scalia's personal physician believes the death was natural causes William Ritchie a former homicide commander of DC Metropolitan Police Department said an autopsy would put all these questions to rest if you're called to the scene of an investigation or the, the scene of an uh, to investigate a death you will assume that the death is a homicide until your investigation proves otherwise he said if the death scene was handled in an appropriate matter, we would not be having this discussion. So investigation is one-on-one. We went over that initially. Right. It's one-on-one. Well, you find see, a dead body. You call. You, you, well, go on. The reason I bring this up again is because the Washington Post has issued a, an article excuse me, about the raving lunatic conspiracy theories out there on the Internet and how you know people are so far gone mentally that they have to, um, you know, use these conspiracy theories to to cope with life basically and that you know these are all based on unfounded um you know uh so cia <laughs> the cia coined the cia or conspiracy theory basically the tavistock institute uh backed up that uh actually the, the tavistock institute created the language uh certain certain uh, points that threw it into the um um various uh, tavistock uh uh, outlets here in this country created a new language that included the phrase conspiracy theory. So what you're what you're seeing is a brainwashing, mind washing thing. So anyone who's so intellectually numb or intellectually lazy, if you're that intellectually lazy, where you are saying that this is all a conspiracy theory, well then 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 I don't have any use for you. I don't have I don't have a I don't have any use for you. I really don't. I you know what? Go go ahead. Believe what you want to believe. All right. Go with Cinderella looking for a glass slipper or whatever she does. Is that the right one? I don't even know if that's the right fairy tale. But the bottom line is, look, it's it's a conspiracy. Follow the law. Follow the law. Yeah, and we know that this uh, particular death will have uh, big legal implications uh, for a time to come. That, I mean, look in, in 63 when, when JFK was killed. Um, his head blown off in the in front of the entire world. The protocols, uh, standard operating procedure was not followed then either. Of course not. As with a lot of deaths relating to politicians and politics, uh, Joe Scarborough being one of them. Um, if many remember, he was a a uh, member of the House in Florida. And there was a dead intern found in his office. Oh, yeah. Oh, and that was swept under the rug. 
Well, yeah, it happens. I hate when that happens. I hate when I walk in the <laughs> studio and find it dead end and turn to my desk. I'm sorry. I just really decide, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such an inconvenience. There's another conspiracy going around out there. Uh, there's an, uh, an MSNBC or NBC, the Wall Street Journal poll saying that nationally, Ted Cruz has overtaken Donald Trump in polling nationally, uh, 28 to 26%. When Donald Trump has been, in, I mean, it's funny to see, you know, you see 10 different headlines, uh, nine out of the 10 give poll numbers that show Trump with a double-digit lead nationwide over Cruz, yet one pops up right before the South Carolina primary saying, oh, Cruz with this, you know, new lead, um, <laughs> which is interesting because if you go on the NBC site, two stories under the story about Cruz taking this new lead is a story that says Trump has a 13-point lead over Cruz on this from the same day today. Um, so we see this this uh, manipulation in the news on a daily basis. We see the manipulation in the markets on a daily basis. It's constant. It's never-ending. The disinformation is one of the most powerful tools that the propagandists have out there at their disposal, especially when the, the disinformation contains uh, a high level of truth and a little bit of disinformation, or a little bit of truth and a high level of disinformation. And most likely the people who are uh, you know, telling the stories or giving the narratives, they're compartmentalized to a great degree too, only are being told what they are supposed to know. Only the people at the top really know what's going on. And we'll never know if this was a murder or if this was a natural death. And well, maybe that was the reason. What what or what is going <laughs> on right now or what has been taking place the last few days that we have not seen due to this circus um of an investigation or lack thereof with the death of the Supreme Court justice. And that's what we need to find out. You know I am I am in favor of Stepping back and, and looking at, like the the death of Scalia, and, and waiting until all the facts come in. But when but when we're being gamed from when day you one, get a se- when you can't when, get parts of the facts that are essential to the conclusion, yeah, you know, right from the beginning. I mean, when you, um, when when the die is cast and actions are taken that that destroy the physical evidence at the scene that you cannot get back. Um, it's you're cooked right from the beginning. It it becomes it becomes a, a totally skewed um, situation. And, and assumptions that one makes, for example, you, you know this whole big thing about the pillow. All right, don't tell me you don't lead off with a pillow over. Like you said, if a, a pillow was not in a remarkable position, yeah. Poindexter would not have described it as such. And then they come three days later and clarify it. Okay. Uh, and, and then have people say, well, you know, my my wife, my girlfriend sleeps with a pillow over her face. I do that sometimes, too. Look, I understand that. I get that. We're not talking about your girlfriend in bed or your wife in bed or your daughter or whatever. We're talking about a, a Supreme Court justice who's dead, unattended. You know, uh, a lot of people speculating about how he's an older man with lots of health problems. And I get that, too. Well, guess what? He didn't travel to Texas with a doctor. He didn't have a need for immediate medical attention or met to seek medical attention in the days or weeks leading up for him going on the trip to Texas. 
He felt good enough to go to Texas on a on a little uh, re- remote vacation. So it wasn't like he was having battles with uh, you know some massive illness or series of illnesses that needed attendance by doctors or hospitals. He had not been hospitalized recently. Well, he had a and I saw another you know, so well, shoulder, but I, I mean he wasn't traveling with the doctor. I guess is is. Uh, well, yeah, I know. Especially when they say he had so many, you know, health problems. Uh, he was overweight, 79 years old. And then for them to say that he died of a heart attack, to turn around to say it was not a heart attack, it was natural causes, without an autopsy even being done, that alone... It do, yeah, it doesn't matter. See, it, you die you when your heart know. stops, okay? so that, <laughs> And that's what Cinderella was saying. Well, I meant to say I, his heart gave out, so, you know, that's kind of what... Look... Yeah, he died of old Just age. Just <laughs> do the investigation now that we can't because the crime scene or the uh, death scene has been skewed. Uh, I guess we won't find that out, will we? Um, and also, Gene, Eugene, his son, Scalia's son, uh, weighed oh, in. He, he weighed in and said, "You know, I'm really tired. I, I don't. I, I really don't agree with all the conspiracy theories out there." Again, he he weighs in and says, "Well, that. I heard the family denied the autopsy." Well, right, but but see, here is the other issue. I don't care if you, it's not the, it's not up to them. I, right, I had exactly. All right, it is not up to <laughs> I've seen cases where the family said absolutely not. Uh, the autopsy is against our religion. I can we can't kill do you this. and then say uh, so against yeah. our beliefs. No, I can, I can no. poison you and then tell the investigators. Oh no, no, I don't want an autopsy. Uh, Embalm right. them right away. <laughs> it's overruled. You know, it, the law enforcement can overrule and should overrule the family. Right, because say, the doctor was sorry. not present. Right. Nor was anybody else present during yeah, that. Yeah, I just, you know, it's stupid. And that people is Texas just, law. They irritate me. If you go I to. Really, I'm sorry. I just, they really irritate me. You know, seriously. If you go to Infowars.com, there's a story up there about the uh, 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 handling of this, and it states the law exactly uh, in Texas what, how it should be handled. Regardless right. As I mentioned, Supreme Title Court One, Code right. of Criminal Procedure, right. Chapter 49, Subchapter A. Look it up. All right. If I know that, Cinderella should know that. Well, she was uh, asked by uh, for an interview by an Infowars reporter and turned her back on him, um, being told to, to for him to refer to a, a newspaper for her comments about the issue. But anyways, we're gonna we got less than ten minutes until Jerry Robinson joins us. He's we're not gonna, gonna want his come, take on this. He's gonna, well, I'm gonna, gonna hit some other issues real hell, quick. I'm not coming. Let's hit some other issues real quick in the last ten minutes. Uh, exclusive radioactive material stolen from Iraq raises security fears. This sounds eerily familiar to what um, Mr. Uh, Gary Haven was talking about last night about in Iraq the you know 50 tanks, the Humvees, the billion dollars worth of arms that were just left stranded in Iraq for ISIS to magically find, pick up, and carry away without any. Uh, again, standard operating procedure being broken. The military didn't go in and destroy the the equipment that was left there. Uh, it was taken by the terrorist faction uh, to be used in the uh, continued fight in civil war in the Middle East. Well, here we have missing radioactive materials out of Iraq. Iraq is searching for highly dangerous radioactive materials, according to an environmental ministry document in 7 Security. Environmental and providential officials who fear it could be used as a weapon of mass destruction by the Islamic State. The material stored in a protective case the size of a laptop computer went missing in November from a storage facility uh, belonging to a U.S. oil field. 
according to W uh, or the company Weatherford WFT.N, the document seen by Reuters shown and confirmed by officials. A spokesman for Iraq's environmental ministry said it could not discuss the ongoing issue due to national con- concerns of or doing due to concerns of national security. Uh, there was a statement issued by the company that said it was not responsible or liable for the theft. We do not own, operate, or control the sources or the bunker where those sources were stored, they go on to say. Where the heck did I put that briefcase? (laughs) The material, which uses gamma ray tests to test flaws in materials used for oil and gas pipelines in a process called industrial gamma radiography, is owned by Istanbul-based SGS Turkey, according to documents and officials. An SGS official in Iraq declined to comment and refused uh, comment to Reuters, uh, to its Turkish headquarters, which it did not respond to phone calls or emails. The State Department said it was aware of the reports, but saw no sign that the Islamic State or other militant Islamic groups had anything to do with the theft. So, there you have it. Yeah. Uh, so, and that was a big no. headline today on the... Can't find it. Don't know where it is. Now, mm-hmm. next, moving on here. This Wait a minute. Is, minute. Check under here. No. No, I, I, thought, maybe was, I thought maybe there was a briefcase. Yeah. Check Chicago yeah. on our know. connecting flight. Um, this is something you're going to like, and we'll talk with Jerry about when he joins us. Larry Summers wants to kill the $100 bill. As the yeah, war I saw that. Cash. I saw that, and I was just vibrating out of my office chair today. <laughs> Calls for global agreement to stop issuance of higher-value banknotes. Uh, economist and potential future Federal Reserve Chairman, uh, that's nice, Larry Summer, called for the $100 bill to be phased out of circulation, becoming the latest prominent voice to advocate the elimination of cash. In an ar- article for the Washington Post entitled, It's Time to Kill the $100 Bill, Summers, former chief economist for the World Bank, calls for a moratorium on printing new high-denomination notes That's gonna really in the name of stopping crime and corruption. Right. right. More specifically, Summers wants to do away with Benjamins and even has a sight set on eliminating lower-denomination value currencies like the $50 bill. See, the, the, the war on cash and, <laughs> and the war against the dollar, taking down the dollar, but the other part of this is the war on cash. Yeah, we're just kooks and nuts yep. talking about this. Oh, wait, when Larry Summers says it, well, that's fine, because you see, here's the problem. You cannot control what you cannot see, and you can't see it if it's in someone's pocket or in their wallet or in their purse or in their mattress. You've got to, It's got to be dots and titles and ones and zeros on the computer screen. Then you can control it. Well, yep. Zero Hedge points out the surface justification for eliminating the cash will eradicate crime and, in the words of Larry Summers, make the world a better place. Of course. Which is merely a ruse for the real agenda. And if we look at the, the uh, public health, um, you know, RFID information, they say that they're doing all this for the protection of the public health. And it goes on to say, for central bankers, as all the modest proposal will do to make it that much easier to unleash negative interest rates, because recall that of the $1.4 trillion in total U.S. currency in circulation, $1.1 is in the form of $100 bills. Eliminate those, and suddenly there is nowhere to hide those trillions of dollars of negative interest rate yielding bank deposits. 
So with one regulation, the Fed, if it listens to this Harvard charlatan, and it surely will, as more and more academics get on board with the ideal to stop paper money, it could eliminate the value 78% of all currency in circulation, would, which would effectively achieve practically the entire goal of destroying the one paper alternative to the digital uh, negative interest rates in the form of paper currency. The move to ban cash has been accelerating over the last year with numerous uh, prominent officials echoing Summer's statements. France introduced laws last year which would restrict the French citizens from making cash payments over a thousand euros. Italy, Russia, Spain, Mexico, uh, Uruguay have all introduced similar laws to ban cash payments over a certain amount. Earlier this week, the European... uh, Council voted to scrap the $500 euro bill, a decision that would reduce the amount of physical cash cash in circulation by 30%, a move that would be negative for the currency, according to Bank of America analysis. And last month, Norway's biggest bank, DNB, called for the elimination of cash to cut down on black market sales and crimes such as money laundering. See, if you eliminate cash, where are you going to put? Where are you going to put your? Where are you going to put your cash? In your wait, chip. Yeah. Uh, wait. It's going to be in the digital digital realm. It's going to be one and zeros. I, I I'm getting the cash. It's it's actually wireless. Well, the I'm uh, getting it. former Bank of England Jim uh, Levis penned an article for the London Telegraph last April, which he said a cashless society would only be achieved by forcing everyone to spend only by electronic means from an account held by a government-run bank, which would be monitored or even directly controlled by the government. Sounds about right. <laughs> I, I, I don't think we asked you, Eric. <laughs> if we wanted your opinion, we'd beat it out of you. <laughs> no. well, what, what's your What's your grandmother? No, Eric, the tech, fantastic, uh, good friend, and fantastic uh, man. So, what's your grandma? So, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, well, an electronic, no more cash for you. <laughs> And again, uh, folks, in our closing minute here, 28 dead, at least 61 injured as the blast hits a military bus in the Turkish capital. Um, Ankara, this, you know, what, yeah. a, what a horrible situation. But see, this is all leading up to World War Three. Yeah, several are, de- several are dead um, as a car targeting um, a military installation in Turkey was blown up uh, in in Accra, as Turkey's deputy prime minister said, the blast happened in close proximity to the, to the Turkish parliament building, reportedly targeting military personnel. At the scene of the explosion, and is located to close proximity to the Turkey's parliament. The president of general staff, army, air force, navy, and coast guard commands. We are very close to that place, and we heard two explosions. One of the employees in a nearby hotel told RT by phone. I went to the rooftop of the hotel and saw smoke and a big fire. Then a military, uh, there was a military building around the corner. I was about one kilometer from us when another explosion uh, was detonated. And there are multiple videos. You can go to RT or any major news source to find and see the devastation from those terrorist attacks in Turkey. Folks, we'll be right back after this short break with Jerry Robinson ftmdaily.com follow the money Doc, follow the money daily FTM just daily. follow the money that's what we need to do Star Radio Network 
ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to this segment of the Hagman and Hagman broadcast. Uh, we're going to be joined very, very shortly by our very special guest, Mr. Jerry Robinson, uh, just uh, all about the economy. You're not going to want to miss what he's got to say. Before we continue with programming, I want to mention that we find a great website that uh, has really fulfills all of our snacking needs, all of our cravings for the delicious salted roasted nuts and snacks and you can't get any better than nuts.com if you get hungry during the day do you get hungry during the day oh man i do we rarely have time to leave for lunch and have you gone to the grocery store for example or even the 7-eleven or convenience store to look at their selections oh man no selection stuff sitting in cans jars i mean it's it's sad it really is you're not going to find uh, freshly sprouted almonds. You're not going to find the dried goji berries or delicious black walnuts at your local grocery store or convenience store. No, you won't. But I'll tell you where you will find them. Nuts.com. They have, in our opinion, the best tasting snacks and nuts on the planet. You know, it's a simple and very convenient way to have nutritious, delicious, healthy snacks, nuts, right delivered right to your door. I mean, you don't even have to get out of your pajamas. You can slippers, jammies, you know, not not even you don't even have to put shoes on. And, and it's so easy, folks. If we we sit and uh my wife and I uh we sit and we we pick out what we'd like and we click the button and we wait about 15 minutes, we go to the front door and there's a guy with a box full of full of snacks. No, not quite 15 minutes, but it's the deliveries are really quick. I talked to the head not the CEO of nuts.com and I say this often because I was so impressed after talking with him he was involved in quality control operations got him out of there he said what are you doing calling me how'd you get this number that's what he said hey how, how? No. anyway no he didn't say that but uh uh, now, a, a very nice guy. He's been with the business for a long time. The, it's a family-owned business it's since 1929, and they've prided themselves on delivering the best nuts and dried fruit you find, find anywhere. Folks, nuts.com, microphone uh, code HH. Here's our gift to you. New customers right now, that's right, if you're new customers, you get four free samples. You, you've got, you can choose from over 50 options. Uh, four free samples for all new customers. It's a $15 value when you go to nuts.com. Enter our code HH. That's nuts.com. Enter our code HH for four free samples with your order. Again, folks, go to nuts.com. HH in the microphone box for complete details. Nuts.com. Microphone code HH. Do it today. All right. With that, we're going to bring on our guest. Mr. Jerry Robinson, he's an economist, veteran, trend trader, serial entrepreneur, and best-selling author. I think you're create, a serial killer. <laughs> creator of FTMDaily.com. In addition to his fascination with the global economy, Jerry is also a trained Christian minister and biblical researcher and lecturer. In 2003, uh, Jerry launched JRMI.org, a Christian ministry committed to challenging believers to think and to believe. Seven years later, 2010, he developed the website FTMDaily.com in an effort to help educate, equip, and empower individuals about money investing. In that same year, Jerry introduced the Follow the Money Weekly podcast, covering the most pressing economic and geopolitical events, featuring prominent guests and actionable investing ideas. He's also the best-selling author of the book Bankruptcy of Our Nation, Your Financial Survival Guide. We met him in Orlando, Florida, and, and had the pleasure of interviewing him, Joe, and, and what a yeah. guy. I mean, folks, to meet this man and, and to look in his eyes, 
I mean, the, the man has character, he's good integrity, um, and, and you know what, knowledge. He knows what's going on, and he's a guy that I'd listen to. I pick up the phone and say, "Hey, w- 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 help! What are we seeing?" I mean, uh, so anyway. Yeah, not only is uh, Mr. Robinson frequently quoted by the mainstream media on topics of the economy, but also geopolitics, and has appeared on many uh, mainstream publications and and media outlets. And as my dad said, we met him in the uh, Prophecy in the News conference um, last year in Florida, and we did actually a, a, ra- a couple-hour roundtable uh, segment with him uh, at the conference with Paul McGuire and Jerry and my dad and myself. And that went very well, and he's been a guest on our show uh, several times since then. Jerry, welcome back to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much. What a uh-huh. what a wonderful introduction. And I want to make sure this is the right show. This is the one that has Nuts.com as their sponsor, right? Uh, <laughs> well, let me check. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, I heard you in the last hour saying people are going to think we're nuts. And I'm thinking, well, if Nuts.com is the sponsor, I don't know. It's not helping. <laughs> I gotta. I, I have to say that uh, we have a bag of. Well, never mind about the bag of nuts that's on our table right now. Anyway, all right. Well, it's 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 been a while, and uh, folks, uh, you want to know what what's going on in, in the in the business world? Here's the guy. So, uh, looking at the entire geopolitical and financial uh, realm here, from a cruising altitude about thirty five thousand feet. Tell us what's going on. I mean, uh, what do we see in here? I mean, yeah, uh, it's it, it it really is pretty epic. I mean, what we're watching. I mean, you know, I've been a trader for about seventeen years. I got started trading, you know, stocks, um, and then I learned options over time, learned futures, and and all of this different stuff. And so, what I do is I look at. Uh, I'm not so much of a fundamental guy. I don't really know all the profit. And losses and all of the financial statements of every company. I'm not really into that. I'm really into watching uh, trends. I'm a trend trader. So whenever a, a stock begins to break out or whenever a new commodity begins to break out, I like to find that, identify that, and then ride it. Kind of like a surfer rides, you know, a wave. And so every trader needs a trend, and I, I trade the trends. So we look for trends. And what's interesting is, is that when you go back and you look over the last uh, several months. What's been occurring is that every single major global financial market, uh, equity market, has been turning into a downtrend. Markets all go in one of three different ways, up, uptrend, downtrend, or they go sideways. Well, when you look at the entire global economy right now, you see that most markets are in confirmed downtrends. Uh, This is what we saw back in 2009 and it's it comes at a very very sensitive and vulnerable time because the fed had really kind of tried to convince the american population and the world for that matter that qe1 qe2 and qe3 was enough right now it's time to begin raising interest rates our economy is certainly stronger look at the low unemployment rate look at how the stock market has risen so high and therefore, we are going to begin raising interest rates. Well, as soon as the market began to really digest what that meant, the market really began to crater. The S&P 500 peaked back in May of 2015 at about 2134. And since that time, it's been fighting uh, to just keep its head above water. So the the overall markets right now, both in the U.S. and globally, are in major downtrends, 
and some of them are more advanced than others. You know, for example, Vietnam, that market has been driven down dramatically. Greece, you know, Greece is uh, been just been completely annihilated. Italy, the same way. But if you take a look at a country like the United States, or if you take a look at a country like um, uh, maybe Sweden, you know, you'll find stock markets that are still very close to their peaks, but they are beginning to form new downtrends. See, that's what I like to find. I like to find when a when a uh, when a trend is just beginning to form, because thanks to financial sophistication today. There are financial products that exist that I can go out and purchase and then profit, you know, from that move. So if I think the U.S. stock market is going to go down, then I don't have to go out and, you know, take on excessive amounts of risk by shorting stocks or something like that. But instead, I can simply buy an ETF that gives me exposure to any particular market in the world. And that's what we do. We track those markets every single uh, week right here, and we update the trends. Are they uptrend? Are they going sideways? Or are they going down? And our, and our subscribers like to know when those things change. And so, you know, that's why we, you know, that's why we produce those uh, reports regularly for our folks. But we trade those same signals, so we eat our own cooking. And uh, we've been trading now for a long time. And I will tell you that I lived through the 2000 collapse. And I lived through the 2008-2009 correction or collapse. And what we're witnessing right now is very close, very closely uh, aligned with the with the with the with the direction of the or the trend in 2008. But what's different about it right now is the intensity. Uh, there is still not a lot of excessive selling here. I mean, we had a sell-off back in August that many people may remember uh, that drove the markets down really sharply, and it was very quick, and it came on fierce volume. When when you get fierce volume levels, what that means is that the bigger institutions are dropping out of the game, and that's really what you have to follow. When we we have an organization here, follow the money. Uh, you know, we follow, we track the money flows, and we watch. And what we're seeing is that there are still there's still institutional money in this market. They have not completely bailed out yet. But uh, when we start getting sharper volumes akin to what we saw back in 2008, then I think we'll begin to uh, see the acceleration of the downtrend. But without that volume, uh, such a downtrend cannot gain momentum. So you have to have institutional players, institutional investors, hedge funds, mutual funds, and other types of funds, and, and other players who are liquidating their shares in those companies. And that is what drives the price down ultimately. But right now, these institutional players, many of them, while they have paired some of their shares, they have not completely left, uh, thus driving the price down. And the reason is, is because they're giving the Fed a chance. The Fed, uh, its credibility has already been damaged because of everybody knows it's, it made a mistake, and it's clear uh, they've made mistake after mistake after mistake. But the 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 idea here is that the Fed is going to be able to somehow wiggle its way out of just telling the entire market that it was going to raise rates all the way through 2018. 
Now it has to backpedal. And backpedaling here uh, is awfully awkward because you have people who have invested tremendous amounts of cash based upon the Federal Reserve's uh, pronunciations. And when the Federal Reserve is shown to be a emperor without any clothing, uh, that's going to cause a pretty big sell-off. And so the Fed is being extremely cautious. I don't know if you caught the, the Janet Yellen last week, yes. uh, but it was just a, I mean, I went back and watched both the Senate Banking Committee uh, speech and the uh, and her speech before the House. I normally don't watch those. They're extremely boring. You usually learn nothing. But with things happening the way they are, I said, I need, to, I need to watch her. I need to see her face. I need to, and of course, she was extremely robotic the way she normally is with that extremely monotonous Janet Reno-like voice, right? And, and she continues to drone on and on. And what I noticed was that they were being very ambiguous, as always, in stating that if the global economy disappoints, that they might take a lower path in their interest rates. And by lower path, they created a huge question mark. By lower path, do they mean not such high interest rate hikes or maybe not as often? Or do they mean negative interest rates, which Japan has already done, which uh, yeah. Sc Scandinavian countries have already done, which, Euro which Europe has already introduced? Um, and so now the United States, Bernanke, on the day that Janet Yellen raised interest rates for the first time in nine, you know, ten years, nearly a decade, uh, Bernanke, who was already out of all, you know out of the position uh, issued a PR release he spoke to a news organization and said that the United States would or the Fed would likely use and implement negative interest rates in the next financial crisis that came out like 2 hours before she spoke and that was a very bizarre thing to happen normally a fed chair doesn't steal the spotlight of another fed chair and so what was, in essence, happening, there's apparently a struggle in the Fed. And the, and the, the struggle has become so pronounced that um, uh, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis president, uh, Neil uh, Kashkari, uh, was actually has actually introduced the idea in a speech, which Bloomberg has been highlighting and talking about, is that he is basically stating that there needs to be tougher U.S. banking laws to prevent another financial crisis, and therefore, the large big banks, which are now 30 to 40 percent larger than, than they were back in 2007 and 2008, they're 30 to 40 percent larger now. So they have not been shrunk; they have not lost their size. And so, this particular Fed uh, president in, in Minneapolis has broken the seals, so to speak, and has called. Uh, for a breaking up of the big banks, stating that when you take a look at nuclear facilities, for example, the federal government has tremendous amounts of regulations upon how nuclear sites can operate, right? That they use extreme care, they use extreme caution. Yet when it comes to the banks, the big banks, the big banks are allowed to take your money and gamble on the most foolish concoctions that you have ever seen. They put together the most bogus type of investments because in the end, the only thing that matters is the shareholder. These are for-profit banks. They're publicly traded. They do not care about their 
uh, their depositors as much as they care about their shareholders, and they have to by law. So it's a very tense thing. It's a very it's a very negative thing. And the bank now itself, the Fed, is beginning to splinter. You have voices from within suggesting we have to break up the big banks. This is a very interesting development. Jerry, if you could uh, go over the negative interest rates and what that would mean to the average American consumer who has a bank account, whether, uh, you know, just money in a checking account to savings and 401ks, retirement plans, et cetera. Yeah, it's a no, it's a, it seems to be a novel concept, and it, it certainly should be. The only reason that it's rational or even considered by the Fed is because they have so distorted the economy. You wouldn't normally need negative interest rates in a healthy, vibrant economy. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, the price of money should cost something. Uh, now, whether you choose to charge for it is one thing or another. I mean, when you read the Bible, the Bible is very clear and has you know strong usury laws. Uh, and in fact, you know, the church for a very long time was opposed to the charging of usury. Um, and it seems to be that around the same time that the revolution happened in America and France, that about that same time, there seemed to be a loosening of the concept. And, and this was especially true with Calvin. And so there was a, there was kind of a releasing of, well, maybe it's not that bad. And so maybe we can charge other people for it. And well, anyway, before long, interest became unbelievable. And now today, the average American, when you count mortgage debt, uh, credit card debt, and student loan debt, when you add all that together and divide it by every citizen in America, it's about $54,000. And so every single individual today has a shackle with about a $54,000 debt that they owe. And what negative interest rates are going to do is that's going to increase that. That's all negative interest rates are going to do. That's all they're designed to do. Uh, in essence, if you want to cause people to borrow, then what do you do? Well, you have negative interest rates, right? If you have banks that are told that they have to lend money and they don't, well, then if you charge them to hold their money, which is the Fed is what they're proposing in essence, then the banks are going to lend. Lend to who? They're going to lend to the over-leveraged consumer. They're going to lend to the over-leveraged business. And so what they're going to do is they're going to create more debt. Uh, and so it's going to accelerate the debt. It's going to make the debt worse. So negative interest rates are a completely, unbelievably terrible, ridiculous idea. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy and insane. And in a rational economy, uh, this would never be considered. But we are not a rational economy. Everything is distorted. The business cycle is very difficult to understand now. It used to be very simple to understand the business cycle. Today, the business cycle has become extremely obtuse. I have no clue where we are in the business cycle anymore. I'm an economist. I, I give up because it doesn't make any sense anymore. Every single number is corrupt. The numbers are corrupt. The game is rigged. Uh, stock market's rigged. Washington's rigged. The economy, in large part, is rigged. Healthcare is rigged. The prescription industry is rigged. I mean, there is rigging going on across the board. Um, and the banks are going to get particularly hit hard. You know, if you have negative interest rates, 
which are forcing banks to loan to people who can't afford to pay stuff back, which is in essence what the was what the Fed wants. They want they don't care if the banks get paid back. They want the consumer to have cash, and the banks have the cash, and they have to give the cash to the consumer. So if they have to charge them interest rates in order to force them to give uh, loans, they're going to. So the banks are already on the hook for a bunch of money. I mean, Deloitte just issued a report, uh, was it last week maybe, that said that one-third of oil uh, EMP company, or, uh, producers are at high risk of slipping into bankruptcy. Uh, this year in 2016, and so mo- you know, many people know by now that you know, of course, it's a pretty big story now. But you know, oil producers are leveraged to the hilt all throughout North Dakota. This whole fracking thing that you've heard about, and it was really beginning to become something of a national prize. You know, it was something we're proud about. Uh, well, in reality, what's happening is, is Oklahoma is dealing with some of the most massive earthquakes that have ever happened. I was in Oklahoma yeah. uh, just the other day, and there was a 5.1 earthquake. Now, I wasn't in the area, but I saw that in the news, and I thought to myself, this is getting out of hand. And it even made the Drudge Report not too long ago. Oklahoma has the most earthquakes out of any place in the world. They're, of course, a haven for frackers. Um, and they're still trying to debate whether there's any kind of tie. You know, the big tobacco does this, big oil does this, all of the big industry, big health care does this. They all deny, 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 deny. And so normally if you go and, and you side with the opposite of the big corporation, you're normally on the right side because the big corporations will always lie uh, in order to protect profit. They will do whatever it takes to protect profit. So, you know, and so a lot of these oil producers are getting, you know, completely smashed. Um, and we also see, speaking of commodities, we see precious metals investment inflows. They're about a six-year high uh, last week. And what I think was very interesting about the run in gold and silver prices since the beginning of 2016, February in particular, is the fact that, once again, Gold and silver proved to be a safe haven. They proved to be a beneficiary of poor uh, economic out- outlooks, poor monetary policies. So, gold and silver are the primary uh, beneficiaries of this current crisis. They're going to continue to soar uh, as we move into an, a very uncertain future. Uh, and it's good that we saw massive inflows into them. Uh, China has accumulated. They've they have increased their uh, buying of gold 700 uh, percent since 2010. That, according to the World Gold Council, that just recently came out. So, uh, all across the board, people see the writing on the wall. There is still movement in that direction, but the average person who watches these dumb sitcoms at nighttime. Uh, sits in traffic in the morning, uh, sits in a cubicle all day long with social media in front of him, and then comes back home to watch the dumb sitcoms. He doesn't know what's happening, right? He has no clue what's happening. He doesn't understand all of what we just talked about. He has no clue. He is just concerned that he keeps his job. And so he hears a guy like Bernie Sanders, who promises him the moon, or he hears a guy like Donald Trump who doesn't give a damn, and he feels a sense of congeniality. He feels a connection with that person. 
he doesn't have any connection with any of these other bozos um, that are on the stage. And uh, Donald Trump and uh, Bernie Sanders, I tell you, it's the 2016 is just it's going to be um, wild entertainment. I got my popcorn ready for the election. <laughs> and really, that, that, that's that's all. Really, this is is, is entertainment. Uh, entertainment for the masses. Entertainment for the uh, uninformed. I mean, anyone who believes, and this is my view, anyone who believes that one person, and I don't care if it's Trump or or anyone, it doesn't matter to me. Um, they're not going to affect any dramatic change in the system. They don't have the power, and, and they're puppets anyway, right? I mean, uh, on the other hand, I mean, on, on some minor things, uh, or maybe not some minor things, they, they could perhaps make a life. Yeah, I, I guess whoever gets in has the capacity to make life a little bit more difficult for us or a little bit maybe more consistent with the Constitution. However, that in the larger sense, in the bigger picture, it really doesn't matter because we're already a captured operation from within. Is, is that kind of like your your thought, or yeah, I I would I would believe that. I mean, again, I I really don't have any kind of dog in the fight. I certainly don't you know vote Republican or Democrat or in any in any such way. Um, whenever I vote, I just completely vote on you know something completely different. But but I know that there's this huge mega complex of um, you know that is a whole cottage industry. It's filled with people like Rush Limbaugh, and it's filled with people like Glenn Beck and Sean Hannity, and all of these guys. And of course, on the left, you have your other like Rachel Maddow. You have all of these entertainers, and they all have their own platforms, and they all spout their own you know stuff. Right. And they kind of create their own tribes, and <clears throat> I get all that, but that's not really anything I'm into. So I don't really, I don't really go into that. But instead, I, I tend to just watch what's happening. Um, and when I look and see what's happening, I don't see how a Trump or a Sanders, a Clinton, uh, a Cruz, I don't see how any of these guys are going to be able to fix our problem when they can't use the word or the phrase Federal Reserve. I don't think I've ever heard any of those guys talk about it. And if they have, they need to talk about it a little longer. They need to bring it up at some of the debates. They need to talk about the some of the deeper-seated issues of our economy. You know, When, when they point at all of these surface issues, uh, you're, you're right. I, I agree with you. They're, they're never going to solve the problem if they insist on hacking at the branches. They have to attack the root. Exactly. Um, well, I got I got a whole bunch of questions for you. You, um, well, let me ask you this, um, and we can table this for later, I suppose. But um, one thing I was looking at, Joe and I were both looking at, but I was looking at this really intently, is the Exchange Stabilization Fund. This is something I'd never heard of before. And the the more I began looking at this ESF, this Exchange Stabilization Fund, the more I realized that, man, this is the real shadow government um, that, that I guess it would be in, in intertwined with the Fed, but it's above the Fed. And, I mean, the black ops, the black budgets. Uh, are, are you uh, – and, again, we could table this for later, but um, – 
What are your thoughts on the Exchange Stabilization Fund if you have them as it applies to the current situation that we find ourselves in? Well, I mean, and you're referring to, of course, the Plunge Protection Team. Is that what you're referring to? Well, I mean, I'm um, familiar with the Exchange Stabilization Fund, but I I guess you're you're talking more about their intervention in the markets. Is that what you mean, or their their role? I mean, what? Yeah, um, I had watched a five part video, and and so many of our listeners sent this video or five part video to us, and and uh, it's this. I don't recall offhand the name of the website, but the bottom line was this is kind of where money goes to hide and fund black projects and the people that are in power kind of, they're behind this. And it's kind of like a um, a mega, and this is the way I understand it to be, and I could be incorrect, but it's kind of like this mega money laundering, money hiding, all-powerful, cabal-operated system that runs everything basically uh, including the Fed they're, they're kind of subservient the Fed's kind of subservient to the ESF it, it, but, but you're right it does have that um, what would you call it the PPT and, and, and that involvement into um, in, into the Fed but I just didn't know if, you, if from a larger perspective from a globalist centrally controlled you know system if you, what your thoughts might be on that but well, you, you always have to have something like that. I mean, and that's in, and I, I don't know if I'm familiar with the video series you're talking about, but but I, I do know the allegations. You know, I know the allegations about the exchange right. stabilization fund. I mean, they talk. We talk about things like the CIA trafficking and uh, even yeah. the JFK assassination. I mean, all kinds of things are tied to uh, the exchange stabilization fund. So, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, but again, a lot of that stuff. Uh, sometimes becomes wishful thinking that somebody is the one who is doing it. Uh, I think. Uh, I think. I think I it's it. almost. So, sometimes those are too simple, and and one of the things that we challenge people to do, and I tell you, this is such a hard job today. Uh, it really is, and we we've been doing this tirelessly since 2003, and it's getting easier and harder. I mean, it's it really is as we educate people. But I tell you, the one thing that we've noticed is that it's very, very difficult to to reach people today to help them understand what they have to do. Uh, waking up is not the end game, right? You, you, of course you need to wake up. You need to wake up and see what's happening. And what most people do is they, when they wake up and they realize that something is going on, right, they read about something like the, ex- the Exchange Stabilization Fund, or you know one one of these other types of things. I mean, the petrodollar system is another one of those things that you know you read about and you say, "My gosh, the system is works very differently than I had really expected." And so when you come to that determination and you realize that perhaps things are not as they seem, that's whenever uh, it dawns on you that uh, perhaps there are things that you know we don't know. And so. Uh, um, I say all that to basically say that what good is that? Uh, what good is it uh, to, to simply be awake if you remain in chains? Uh, so it's important to be awakened, but then also to dust everything off and begin to move and begin to prepare and to begin to make preparations. And that's why we created our five levels of financial freedom. We have something completely free on our website that people can go through. It's the same thing my, that my wife and I did to achieve financial freedom. 
um, you know, I was I was a working guy. I worked in a cube uh, at a computer, had a sales job. You know, that was many years ago, and I hated my life. You know, I wanted to I wanted to start my own business. I wanted to do something different. I, I had an itch, and the other thing was is I wanted to do ministry, and I just felt so dissatisfied. And um, my stepfather, who uh, was actually passing away right at that same time. Uh, he he sent the very last email he sent me was an email where he had signed it. He said, "Make it happen, you know, make <laughs> it happen." And he and he passed away after that. That was the last email I received from him. Wow! And that stuck with me. And I realized, you know what? Nobody else is going to make it happen. If I want to make it happen, I got to turn the TV off at night. I've got to start really focusing upon you know building something uh, that can help me create the life that I want to have and create the lifestyle that I want to have. And so that took years, and, and it was terribly frustrating because I had no nobody really to lean on. And um, anyway, that's what our that's what our five levels of financial freedom are. There are things that we discovered along the way uh, that made a lot of difference. And so people can find that completely free on our website, uh, just ftmdaily.com and uh, forward slash five levels. It's completely free. You can go through that um, when you get there. You'll see a picture of me and my wife uh, just basically talking about, you know, how uh, we have used both the Internet uh, trading and uh, real estate and other methods to to leverage an income that allows us to, to do, you know, to live the life that we want to live. I'll just put it that way. And the, what we did was we got the heck out of the city. We were living in Houston, Texas massive massive metroplex concrete jungle and one day I was driving home and just simply knew in my gut that if there was an issue or a problem in Houston that I would be stuck in that city and my family would be stuck in that city and I know that you know Houston's one of the biggest cities in the country so I was concerned and I just said you know I'm going to I'm going to move out Got a copy of uh, Joel Skousen's book on strategic relocation. Great book, uh, Joel Skousen. You, you guys should have him on sometime. Uh, but anyway, he uh, but he talks about strategic relocation. Where do you move? Where's where's the best place to move in, in the uh, in the country? I settled on Northwest Arkansas mainly because of family, but also because of the beauty. And we bought some land out here, some property. And we just started fixing it up. You know, we we have we have buildings out here. We're we're getting off the grid. We have a full blown garden. We have chickens. You know, we've we've just totally done a 180 in our lives. And the only way we could do that was that we took control of our financial lives. And you see, the Exchange Stabilization Fund, those guys who run that, they've got a plan in place. They're going to be fine whenever the crap hits the fan proverbially speaking but how about your audience right how about the people who are listening how about the people who are listening to my voice right now are they going to be okay i don't think so many of them are going to be hurt in fact I, there was a statistic out recently that showed that i think it was 62 percent. i don't want to butcher the number but it was around 62 percent of americans who have um they don't have enough money to cover a basic a thousand dollar medical bill uh, they can't afford a $500 auto repair right now. I mean, there, there, there is no room for an emergency in a tremendous number of American people's lives. And yet they know everything about Nancy Pelosi. And yet they know everything about Barack Obama. And yet 
Barack Obama and Nancy Pelosi are completely going to be fine whenever the crap hits the fan. But are they? So our time is better spent redeeming the time, uh, focusing upon how can we prepare? Because we know the elites are preparing. We, Of course we know they are. But how are we preparing? What are we doing? And that's where you come in with the, for example, and folks watching this on YouTube, the five levels of financial freedom and and the actual things that we can do and should be doing to protect our families, to protect ourselves. You know, a wise man sees trouble and gets out of the way. And this is what you're telling everyone to do and, and showing us how to do this. And will tell us more how to do this, too. Folks, we're talking with Jerry Robinson. Visit his website, please. Visit his website, bookmark it for all the information. It's FTM Daily. And, of course, he offers some very good information for subscribers and, and premium services. Uh, we do publish. A lot of it is, is uh, uh, non-premium, but uh, uh, very, very informative uh, articles. So that's ftmdaily.com, as in followthemoneydaily.com. Uh, and he, he's got a podcast that he does. The most recent one, I think, Jerry, the Five Reasons to Own Gold in 2016 was your most that's recent right. podcast. Yeah, okay. that's right. All right, fantastic, uh, fantastic podcast. So, uh, visit ftmdaily.com, and I'm losing my microphone. So, sorry about that. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, if we could, uh, Jerry, let's talk about the manipulated numbers and the manipulated economy that you mentioned. You know, you talked about how. Uh, everything is basically manipulated to the point where you, being an economist, can't get a handle on the uh, how, the trends of, of business and, and how business is being run, and, and that you see the uh, economies across the globe at their lower levels like they were back before earlier financial crisis. You know, I just saw a video, I believe it was yesterday, where the president came out and <clears throat> reported the unemployment rate was back to 4.9%. For the first time in eight or nine years, being you know back below five uh, percent, and yet we see a record number of Americans without jobs. How is the regular person who, let's say, you know, has a full-time job, has a family, um, and is is working as hard as they can to make sure that they keep their family afloat and they keep their job and they're they're on point there, who's kind of their periphery is paying attention to the news, hear hear news like that. Uh, how are they to get the truth of the matter um, when there are so much lies and disinformation uh, being fed to the everyday population? The best way to answer that would be to tell a story. Uh, whenever I was uh, back, whenever I was living uh, in the city, um, I had a moment. I had an epiphany, and I what it what happened was I was sitting in a living room on my living room chair. I was watching TV. I had a bottle of water in my hand. And I was just kind of going through the motions, you know, just kind of doing the doing the thing. And as I was flipping through the channels, I had this thought in my mind of the bottled water in my hand and the chair underneath me. Just one of these real strange philosophical thoughts. And I thought to myself, who, who made this chair that I'm sitting on and where did this bottle in my hand come from? And the TV, and I started thinking about everything around me. And I thought to myself, what have I made, 
right? Because what I was beginning to understand, and at the time I was studying consumerism, uh, and I was doing an in-depth study on consumerism, and consumerism is interesting because consumerism did not exist uh, prior to the 20th century. Consumerism is a construct of marketing and the merchants. I mean, this is a dream come true. This world that we live in, which is very unsustainable and will end, uh, is a, ver- a dream come true to corporations. It's a dream come true to, mer- to merchants. It's a dream come true to uh, advertisers. There was always this belief that wants were unlimited. There was always this belief that that wants, that human wants were unlimited. But we could never really prove that because the economy was never large enough to where people could have that much. Of course, kings could have excess, and we knew that excess, you know. But we didn't know for the common man. You know, what is it possible? And what corporations were able to do with the with the birth of the Industrial Revolution and as mass production and, and of course, the means of production increased, what that led to was the ability to mass produce many things and then satiate uh, a tremendous amount of wants. And to the merchants and the uh, uh, marketers and advertisers' pleasant surprise, what they discovered was that the human desire and the human you know, for, for our wants, our wants are unlimited. Uh, it's so hard to satiate. So that means, and what marketers soon realized, was that we would buy a product and then throw it away and then buy it again and then throw it away and then buy it again and then throw it away. And they realized this is ingenious. This is unbelievable. And so, of course, we turned from a producer kind of nation, a producer kind of economy, to a consumer, we hey so what hey we we prefer this we prefer to consume right uh, not to produce we prefer to consume this is much more fun, and so the world took on the role of the producer right so we outsourced our production we outsourced our production to China we outsourced our production to Malaysia and Vietnam and to Japan extensively at one point we outsource our uh, we outsource our work now to hopefully to, to more to Vietnam through the uh, TPP of that's what Obama wants. Um, so, you know, we have uh, a tremendous amount of, of consumption that we do and a lot of imports that we create. One thing that we really don't create are things. We don't make things anymore. We don't know how to make things anymore. And that was my point. I was sitting in my, in my, uh, my uh, recliner. I look down. I see this bottle of water. Where did this come from? The chair underneath me, where did this come from? The TV. I am paying to outsource my entertainment. Where's where's this coming to me from? I go into my kitchen looking for something I've made. I go into my office. What have I produced? What have I made? What have my hands made? And I soon realized that the American way of life is all about outsourcing everything. Outsourcing everything. No wonder you're in debt. No wonder you're broke. No wonder you have no hope of retirement because you have been convinced that you must, at all costs, outsource everything. Everything must be outsourced. You can't do your nails. You can't cut your own hair. You can't, you know, you, you, and of course I'm not talking about simple things like that, but everything, right? You go down the list and 
you you discover that you have been tricked into this. Now, when did you decide to live like this? And suddenly you realize you never had a you never had a choice in the matter. You were simply duped into the consumption trap, whereby your role in, in the society is to be patriotic and buy crap, right? That's what you're supposed to do. You buy crap at Valentine's Day. Why do you buy crap at Valentine's Day? Because they tell you to. You buy crap at Christmas. You buy crap at, 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 at Thanksgiving. And you prop up the retail federation, right? It's all a con game. It's not important. Yet we feel that it's important, and therefore we work at jobs we hate in order to afford it. It's very strange. We're in a very strange... So I had to get out of it. I just got myself a place in the country. Uh, I unplugged, right? I got my kids out of that. I don't want my kids to grow up like that. I'm going to homeschool them. I'm going to take them around the world. I want my kids to, to see something different. I don't want this. This system is grinding people down. It's killing us early. We know now that people are dying earlier than they used to. Our lifespans are decreasing in this economy. It's... This is an unsustainable system. We can't have everything we want forever. It will end. Um, and it's so unfortunate because how long can people accumulate debt? We're going to find out. And it's going to be a terrible reckoning. I would agree with you 100%. I mean, <laughs> you know, com compiling debt using debt instruments and you see the amount of national debt we have as a country they say that that could go up to what 30 trillion by 2020 uh it's definitely unsustainable it is a uh a la la land mentality and, and for another way of saying what you just described the uh consumerism model or the uh materialistic nature of america and it will be the death of us i mean what well, what would happen to the American currency, if it was taken off the world reserve currency uh, status, world reserve currency status. Uh, would you restate that question? If the the U.S. dollar was was no longer the world reserve currency, what would happen to the dollar? Well, if if the United States dollar was no longer the world reserve currency, uh, then everything that you own would be uh, worth less. In essence, everything that you have now would be uh, would lose its value. It, it would go down in value. It would still have value, but it would just take less dollars. But that would begin <clears throat> by an inflation. So it's it's first death by inflation, then by deflation. It goes in that order. Uh, that's that's how history tells us. Uh, it comes in with inflation, and this is how the banks just do it. They come in, they step in, they they flood the economy with money. And then that it causes inflation. Now, I just heard Bernanke at the Brookings Institution or the Brookings uh, uh, Forum or whatever he was speaking. And he made the comment about how inflation uh, in the Phillips curve, he was talking about inflation and how it was going uh, to rise whenever the expectations of inflation rose. Well, that is classic Keynesian economics kind of language. The inflation rate is going to rise whenever people feel it's going to rise. No. Inflation is literally the creation of money. Our monetary system, by definition and by nature, is inflationary because it creates debt 
But it is a it is debt creation upon uh, the moment that is created. I mean, think about a U.S. dollar. You look at it; it's very clear. It says that it's a Federal Reserve note. I mean, it's very clear. I mean, it couldn't be any more clear. You're holding a dollar bill in your hand. You're looking at it. And what is this object? You've just come to the earth. You have no clue. You've never seen this before. You look at a dollar bill. It's very clear what it is. It says a Federal Reserve note. Now, that used to say gold certificate. It used to say silver certificate. Now, it says Federal Reserve note. What does that mean to a complete uh, alien right, or to a foreigner? What does that mean? Well... If I say you have a car note, what does that mean? That means that you have a car loan, right? It's a piece of debt. Well, what is a Federal Reserve note? A Federal Reserve note is a Federal Reserve debt. Who made the money? The Federal Reserve. Who charges the interest on the money? The Federal Reserve. Who does the Federal Reserve charge the interest to? To the United States government. So, in other words, every single... Every time a dollar is printed, it comes attached with it an interest payment. That that dollar has got to end up back in the Federal Reserve. It is a loan. Our money is debt. Our money is loaned to us by the Federal Reserve, and then we pay them interest on it. This is unnecessary. This is exactly why a central bank was rejected at the founding of the nation. Nevertheless... It ended up getting in. The first bank failed uh, after its charter expired. The second bank uh, was destroyed by Andrew Jackson. A great story there. We tell in our book, Bankruptcy of Our Nation. Not and, then, right here. Yep. and then the third, uh, and, you know, Jackson killed the bank, and he was so proud of himself. You know, he really did. He starved the bankers, and it was the Rothschilds at the time. A wonderful story that many children have never heard. Teach your children the story of Andrew Jackson starving the bank. If you're going to teach them anything, teach them something like that. And let them understand why uh, the American people did not want a central bank. Uh, they did not want a central bank because the central bank had destroyed Europe. They knew what paper money would do. They knew that you brought in a private institution, private banking interests, and it would rot the government from the inside. You could not give them access to the public treasury. There was no way you could do it. Well, we did, right? Now we did. And so now we have the Federal Reserve in 1913. We've had it ever since. And the Federal Reserve note is a loan. It is loaned from the Federal Reserve to the U.S. Treasury. The Treasury puts it out in circulation and says, this is your money. This is your money. Work hard for this money. Work hard for this money. Slave for this money. What is it? It's paper money. And does it have any intrinsic value? Well, yeah, it would serve as kindling, I guess, in a fireplace. That's about it. It has no intrinsic value aside from that. We don't have any kind of real money today. It's all paper. And so whenever things really begin to heat up as we look out today and we see that, that it is, then we become very concerned about what that means for our way of life. And so in your scenario... If the U.S. dollar loses its crown, then what Americans should expect is no longer a need for U.S. dollars around the world if it's no longer the reserve currency. Why would you need to hold that many? Um, right. Everybody holds dollars. Everybody holds them. They have to. Um, it's just stupid not to, right? You've got to have dollars. Well, as we progress down the road, we're going to move into an era 
where it would be silly to hold all dollars like they do now. In fact, that's what we're seeing a diversification of with Iran's reintroduction into the world economy. They're back on the SWIFT system now after four years. And Iran uh, has the... Uh, it has the... Well, let's not talk... Let's, let's not move there too long, but let's basically say that as they're coming back online, they're paying euros for old former European alliances, whereas before they had paid dollars. So we're beginning to see a decrease overall in the actual dollar demand globally, and that's the key that you have to watch. You have to take a look at the total global dollar demand, right? Imagine that as a big pool of water, a big pool of dollars. There is a certain amount of dollar demand that is consistent globally, right? Japan needs this much. Mexico needs this much. Okay, there's that dollar demand. Well, if that dollar demand begins to go down, right, globally, that means that the Federal Reserve doesn't have a permission slip to create that money anymore. And so the more that the demand goes down, the more that those dollars have to basically come back to the United States. If they're not demanded by Japan and they're not demanded by Mexico, well, why would they be in Japan or Mexico? They're going to come right back here. And see, that's what the Fed dreads. They do not want all those dollars flooding back here because if they do, then you have too many dollars uh, chasing too few goods, which is the Econ 101 recipe for hyperinflation. Too many dollars chasing too few goods, right? You have too much, too many dollars going around. So everything's going to be bid up. Uh, if, if I'm willing to pay four bucks, you're willing to pay five bucks, right? So it's a, it's a seller's market in that environment. Well, that doesn't last long because hyperinflation, you know, just can't, it's unsustainable. It can't last forever. So, uh, the bankers step in and they do all they can. They raise interest rates. And in the long run, what happens? The end game for this whole thing is very simple. Uh, after the inflation, there's deflation. If you no longer have global dollar demand, then you no longer have a need for those dollars. If you remove those dollars from the monetary system, then you lower the overall money in the system. Very and one more simple illustration here: if you have, if you have a a house that's a hundred thousand. You say this this house is worth a hundred thousand uh, dollars. And let's say that you only have. Well, we can we can cover this on the on the back end. Yeah, 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 uh, Jerry, yeah hang on a minute. We're up against the top of the hour break, folks. You're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report with Jerry Robinson. FTMDaily.com is his website. We'll be right back. Stay with us. This is the Global Star Radio Network. And welcome back, folks, to this hour, this segment of the Hagman and Hagman Reporter, our very special guest, Mr. Jerry Robinson, FTMDaily.com. FTM, FTM, as in followthemoneydaily.com, tremendous author of uh, Bankruptcy of Our Nation. I've got it right here, revised and expanded. It's, and, it's a good read. And if I can, um, on FTMDaily.com, you can subscribe uh, to a few things. 
They have uh, a newsletter that goes out. Uh, they also have a, pod, a weekly podcast, FTM Weekly, you can subscribe to. And go to the sites because you can also become an FTM insider. Yeah. Getting the same information that uh, Jerry gives his, his clients as well as, as he said, he uses himself. Uh, that that part of his site is a uh, uh, subscription-based, but it's well worth it. Oh yeah, man. Uh, I, look, if you're in the in the market, it, it, well, no, I mean, it, anyone, yeah. And if you, I mean, it, if you want to, anyone who really is is concerned about what to do and when to do it, you know, again, the wise man sees trouble and, and gets out of the way, and, and that's what uh, Mr. Robinson is really adept at uh, providing. Before we get back to the program, folks, how's your stress level, everyone? Can you tell? You know, I can you tell? I, I didn't wasn't listening to Whole Tones Live today. <laughs> WholeTonesLive dot com. You know, music is one of life's greatest pleasures. It's got tremendous power. And if you're stressed, if you're overworked, if you're overwhelmed, if you're unmotivated, if you feel like life is running you instead of you running your life, you're not alone. But now you can experience the scientifically proven powers of music therapy with Whole Tones. It's a collection. There's a collection of proven music therapy that can help reduce stress, ease your mind, motivate you. You can get started today, folks. Listen to a free sample of this amazing music that heals and inspires at WholeTonesLive.com. And I just want to make sure people get it right. It's W-H-O-L-E, WholeTonesLive.com. We, we've gotten so many emails from people. One saying, you know, I started playing Whole Tones throughout my workday. And I was more creative. I was more motivated. And the work I was doing seemed much easier, and my mind was a lot clearer. And, of course, I'm paraphrasing, but, uh, you know, we had Michael Terrell, the creator of WholeTonesLive.com, on our show, and he explained how this music was inspired by the music frequencies of King David. And if you are like us, where, you know, you're just jumbled a lot of times, well, uh, hey, WholeTonesLive.com and experience the healing frequency music projects. These frequencies were studied uh, in the music of King David and believed to have astounding healing effects. Now you can benefit from this revitalization healing music therapy simply by listening daily to this music in the comfort of your own home or office or car. No more road rage for you, right? Well, support our broadcast and go to wholetoneslive.com and get a free sample of the soothing, relaxing, revitalizing musical tones. But music, but, but you know what? Even go do better than that. Order a DVD set because you're going to find, as we have, it revolutionizes your life. That's wholetoneslive.com. As you see on the screen right there, if you're watching this live on YouTube, wholetoneslive.com. All right, with that, let's get back to our guest, Mr. Jerry Robinson. Again, his website is ftmdaily.com. That's followthemoneydaily.com, but FTM for short. Uh, Jerry, welcome back. Great to be here. Thank you. All right, yeah. where we left off in our number one uh, with our in our interview with you uh, and where we stopped at the break, you were giving an example uh, you were talking about Iran, and then you were giving, starting to give an example about the uh, debt instrument money we have. And a home value at 100000 and mm. we cut you off. Yeah, because the question was, in essence, about the U.S. dollar and what it would look like if it was no longer the primary reserve currency. If it was no longer the global reserve currency, then what would the U.S. dollar look like? What would that mean to you and me? 
We had said that it would initially mean inflation and then deflation. And the reason why is that you no longer have that same level of global demand, right? You had a level of global demand at that, 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 that premium level. At that area where you are the chief currency in the world, the global reserve currency, that status provides a tremendous amount of global demand for your currency. Therefore, your central bank can then go out and print lots of money because it'll know that there'll be a demand out there to catch it. They would never do that uh, if there was not an existing demand base because, uh, if not, because it would create mass inflation. So, in the in the way down for the United States dollar, if it descends from being the top global currency, maybe to a second or a third tier, then what that means, in essence, for you and I, is that there'll be less global demand, which means there'll be more initially here in the United States, more dollars here chasing too few goods. So you have inflation. That inflation is then followed by a period of deflation as the Fed attempts to suck all that money out of the economy. Now, how does the Fed suck money out of the economy? The way they do that is they raise interest rates because whenever the interest rates are raised, then you and I have an incentive then to take our money out of the mattress or wherever it is and take it down to the bank because they're going to give us 5%, 6%. That sounds great today, doesn't it? So if the bank would pay, if the banks would pay us that, then we would take our, you know, dollars to the banks. Well, they're not paying us that. In fact, they're paying us hardly anything. Therefore, cash is not really is, is there's not as much cash in the banking system as they would like. Therefore, um, you know, over time we would see higher interest rates and that of course would lead to less money in the system and when you have less money in the system everything costs less perfect example what we were going to give before the break is that if you have an economy that has let's just use an illustration let's just say we have an economy it's a little island and it has a total of 1000 US dollars as its economy if that's the case let's say you got three people living there if that's the case, no house can cost more than $1,000, of course. And that would make no sense for the house to cost $1,000 because that means that there are no other valuable assets on the island. And that doesn't make any sense. So, therefore, um, that house would become worth more if there was more money in the system because it could. It could cost more if there was more money in the system. But if there's only $1,000 in the system, then the house can only cost at maximum $1,000. So as your overall uh, dollar supply goes down because the demand has gone down, the value of everything also goes down. People are stuck in a mentality that teaches them, and this is part of the bankster's idea and the consumption trap, is that the, the present must be the minimum. In other words, you know, I need to get a raise, right? My paycheck needs to go up, right? That's the mentality. Here's another part of that uh, idea. Uh, my house value needs to go up. Here's another one. My 401k should be going up. My IRA should be going up. Okay. Hmm. That's interesting, and that's, and that's where we live today. But that is what we expect now. And the only way to have that happen is if you can consistently have an expanding monetary supply. We have expanded our monetary supply to its outer limits. 
we can no longer maintain it at this level, and there's no longer a reason to because global demand is declining. Therefore, dollar supply has no other choice except maybe for one last spurt of QE4, which we could see unfolding in 2016. Without one more spurt before you finally have the system have to begin contracting, the dollar demand will no longer be at that level. Now, there's people who disagree with that. There's people who say that the U.S. will emerge out of the present chaos victorious and the strongest. They say that China has all kinds of economic issues. India is not ready to take over the crown. Europe is a total mess. Britain you know, can't even make up its mind if it wants to be in the EU. South America is an absolute wreck. Africa is in no place. Uh, so they go around the world and they say, who else but the U.S.? The Middle East, of course, they're not ready. So, so there is this idea that the U.S. dollar could continue on for some time, longer than we may think. Remember what John Maynard Keynes once said. He didn't say everything that I would agree with. It's certainly not. But one thing that I did agree with is that he says the markets have the ability to, uh, or the markets uh, can remain irrational longer than I can remain solvent, right? So I may believe that the U.S. dollar is going to go down. I may believe that the stock market is going to crash. But is if we've seen anything, we've seen that irrationality is accepted, right? We know that irrationality is okay, apparently, with investors. So therefore, how long will irrationality be acceptable? We don't know. Uh, a lot of it has to do with what the Fed says, the power of their words are being highly measured right now. Interesting. Folks, I, I want to direct your attention to ftmdaily.com. And, and I just want to say thank you for this podcast, How to Be Happy With or Without Money. You, you did a wonderful um, uh, interview with Randy Elkhorn. And I would urge everyone to, to listen to that podcast from January, mid-January, I believe, January 20th, 2016. It's just an interesting, um, it, this all is off topic, but really interesting. It, it deals really, it, it deals with happiness, your personal happiness. And a lot of people today are, I mean, we, we see this economic, uh, well, this economic freight train that's really coming off the tracks and, and we're stressed and everything else, but to, to that particular podcast is, is very interesting. Yeah, really so good. many people base their happiness on the, the amount money. of money they yeah. have. Yeah. And that is a myth. Yep. Yep. Anyway, all right. Um, Jerry, uh, fantastic explanation, too, by all of this. And this Keynesian uh, economic theory, I mean, this model, yeah, I, I get this. I mean, dollars expanding well beyond its limit. You see, you mentioned QE4. Oh, man. Can it really be done? I mean, QE indefinitely, I guess, was the last one. or you know, and, and, But another round of QE... Um, do you, is that really in the cards, do you think? There's no other choice. There's really no other choice but QE. But what is the Fed going to do? I mean, they can't raise rates. They know that. I mean, yeah. look at uh, look at the uh, look at the talk that came out. I mean, and, we, and this is really what you have to pay attention to. Remember, um, 
people often talk about the mainstream press and they say, you know, of course it's controlled by five, six corporations, mega corporations. They control what we hear, what we think, what we see, what we think, how we feel. They, they control the elect, electoral process. They control, you know, they filter everything. I mean, they're, they're the filter for everything. And then when they're not telling you what to think, then they put their advertisers on to just, you know, irk you even more and tell you why you're not happy and all of this. So, the the whole uh, mainstream press, people often say, well, they won't ever tell you the truth. Well, that's not true. Sometimes stories will slip through the mainstream press, but they. The, but here's the key, and I think we might have talked about this last time I was on, but when it comes to the mainstream press, you have to pay attention to the stories that they hammer over and over and over and over again. Those are the ones that you have to pay attention to. That, that's the propaganda. That's that's the propaganda. There's a ton of propaganda around the refugee crisis. There's a ton of propaganda around Iran. Let me tell you, there's something not a lot of propaganda around here in the mainstream press. Saudi Arabia. In fact, there's virtual silence as Saudi Arabia unites with 20 different armies uh, across the world, Arab armies, uh, and is having its largest military drill ever, and yet it has the gall to point at Iran, who has no nuclear weapons, and tell the world that they're the ones that everyone should be concerned about. Israel finally woke up, I think, last week, whenever there was a story in the Times of Israel where someone was making the case that maybe we need to rethink our alliance with Saudi Arabia, i.e. the cauldron and the inner layer of the worst kinds of Islam, I mean the the most vile form, the same form of Islam that ISIS holds to, the same form of Islam that uh, Al Qaeda holds to. It's the same exact version of Islam, and yet they have convinced Americans that Iran is the problem. It's like the Twilight Zone. I mean, all you hear out of all you hear out of conservative people is that Muslims are the problem, right? Except Saudi Muslims, apparently, right? Except Saudi Muslims. And so they think that the Saudis are our buddies. It came out today, there was a story that a Saudi uh, comp or a Saudi investor owns a pretty large share in a company that works on Air Force One. And it's these kinds of infiltrations that are very uncomfortable. And, uh, and I think Iran has been a point of propaganda. Back to propaganda. One thing that came out and slipped out of the media, and this went away immediately, was the talk of a policy error. Financial Times released this right after, uh, right after the beginning of the year uh, in January. Financial Times headline, Talk of Fed Policy Error Grows. That's growing in private. It's not growing in public. Uh, the Federal Reserve may have made a huge mistake, Washington Post. Uh, investors Business Daily, U-Turn, is the Federal Reserve's next move a rate cut. Now, the Fed uh, is very likely to lower interest rates. They're going to take a lower path, they said already, if, quote, the global economy disappoints. Well, the global economy is as disappointing as it can possibly be. And, in fact, it's only getting worse. The, the latest numbers out of China, the latest uh, trade numbers out of China were absolutely horrific. We have not seen numbers like this uh, in many, 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 many moons. It's been a long time. So China's bad. Uh, India's struggling. The European Union is an absolute wreck. 
they are promising more negative interest rates, and the ECB is going to squeeze more monetary easing out in March. The Bank of Japan has negative interest rates. Uh, Russia is an absolute wreck because of the oil prices. Saudi Arabia just had its uh, rating cut today by the S&P. It's been lowered again. Uh, Venezuela is on the verge of absolute, complete, total collapse. People are, are, they don't even have toilet paper in Venezuela in many parts of the country. I mean, it, Mexico is not in good shape. Uh, Canada just sold all of its gold reserves. All of its gold reserves have been sold. Uh, I mean, you just go around the world and you see problem after problem after problem, and you think to yourself, what's going to replace the dollar? What's going to possibly replace the dollar? Well, for now, the Fed has to play daddy, and it has to continue to soothe the overall global markets. And the only way to do that is for it to agree with the rest of the global central banks and uh, ease. Uh, other central banks are doing it. ECB is going to do more in March. The Bank of England is already uh, backpedaling, and uh, the Fed is going to. But they got to be suave about it. they got to be cool about it. They got to convince the institutional investors that they got it all under control. But in reality, the Fed is making it up as they go along. Uh, that's a terrible, well, I, I, unsurprising but rather terrifying thought, nonetheless. So, so, how, and maybe maybe this is an unfair question, but how do you see this playing out then? I, I mean, if everybody is in trouble, it's just the degrees to which they are. I, I mean, how does this play out? Yeah, it's well. I mean, right now, nineteen trillion dollars in debt. You know, you have uh, no plan to solve the entitlement crisis. You have student loan debt levels out of control. You have uh, personal debt out of control. You have people on the verge; they're not ready for an emergency. You have a tremendous amount of people who have no plan for retirement. You have uh, a lot of uh, bad things when you look forward to the. Uh, we talked about the entitlement crisis, but when you look at Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, they're they're insolvency, and you take a look at what that's actually going to mean. The widows and the orphans are going to be hurt, not the fat cats. Don't worry about the one percent. Don't worry about the two percent or the ten percent. Worry about the the widows and orphans who are going to be crushed by this. Of course they will, and, and the banksters don't care because they're making money right now. That's what it's, that's what it's all about. But the nineteen trillion dollars in debt only grows with the next president. And what's going to happen, I believe, and this is just from my own humble perspective, because again, I'm not a political hack. I follow politics, but you know, I certainly do not prescribed to either party at all in any shape or form. However, um, I, I will say that as we move forward in 2016, I think it's interesting that virtually no presidential candidate is really talking about some of these deeper issues. They're pointing at surface issues that are designed to elicit a response. They're, they're, they're emotional issues. They're not real issues. Now they may be real issues to some people, but the but the fact of the matter is is that there are degrees. If you're on the Titanic and somebody has a nosebleed, yeah, that may be a problem, but it's not the biggest problem in the room, right? So yeah, well, we may have a we may have problems that these guys are pointing at, but these problems are just minor compared to the major problems in the fact that we have a debt based monetary system that is getting more and more out of control. 
that we have banks that are 30 to 40 percent larger than they were in 2007 and that there's no plan to fix it, that we take care of nuclear reactors and protect them with more safeguards than we do the treasuries of the public's wealth. We take our money to the banks and we say, well, we hope our money's going to be okay here. But in reality, the banks are running a scam. They're loaning out money they don't have. They're, they're, bar, they're, they're, they're loaning out money to, 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 they're making bad loans. There's just a whole number of problems with the banking system that we just can't go into. And then you all have the same problem in Europe. You know, so the whole, the whole thing is where does it end up? It's, it's going to end up in a place where the stock market is going to likely crash, pull back around 60%, um, in my estimation, and that would be uh, just simply to get back to to a place where uh, the market would even make sense. It would take about a 60% haircut here in order for the market to even begin to resemble anything healthy. Uh, P.E. ratios on companies are still wild. Uh, not like we saw back in 2000, not quite like we saw back in 2008, especially with the pullback we have had, but you know, we expect to see a very serious market uh, you know, uh, crash. Uh, we expect people to be hurt by that. All the right people will be helped by all the right people will be hurt by that. All the wrong people will be helped by that. Uh, the banks are able to profit when markets go down. Um, the average individual can too, but he's not taught that in school, and he's not taught that on his nightly sitcoms. So he doesn't know that. He's not able to do that. He doesn't. He, he, he's not tapped into that. And so the banksters are going to be the one that profit, and the people who are working hard, you know, trying to get a raise, are going to get like sheep to the slaughter. Um, and they put all their money in these target date mutual funds and their 401ks that are underperforming. They're full of fees. I could go on. If, if we could, uh, just a little bit off topic. Uh, Jerry, the Baltic Dry Index, uh, we saw it rise again today, another six points, but it is at, you know, uh, bare yeah, minimum. Historic, yeah, historically low. Or, you know, yeah, well, you what know. kind of impact can we expect from the, the, uh, I think is, if it was at 306 yesterday, that means 312 today. Uh, in 2008, in May of 2008, it was at an, a high of 11,000 plus. Today it's 312 at its close. What does that tell us? Well, the Baltic Exchange, um, for people who don't know what that is, because I, I do see that occasionally in the headlines, and I wonder if people even know, you know, what that is. But but it's it, it, basically the Baltic Exchange has a may has a main sea freight index, and it tracks rates for ships uh, that are carrying things like uh, copper. Or other basically industrial commodities. Uh, so corporations or companies uh, overseas or governments need this, and so they they ship industrial commodities by sea. Uh, but that index, uh, as you mentioned, has fallen. And it's been in, it's been in a free fall since August uh, of last year. Um, it's fallen at least thirty thirty five percent since that time. Uh, put simply, if you just want to simplify it, there's too many shipping boats on the water. Uh, there's not enough industrial commodity shipment demand. Uh, people are not buying commodities. Even though prices are low, the demand for those commodities <clears throat> is also uh, declining as corporations slow down, as the economy slow down. So when industrial commodity demand slows around the globe, 
it represents a global economic contraction. So we are presently facing, we are in a worldwide economic contraction. That is happening right now. And I'm, just, I'm not just saying that. I mean, here, here at Follow the Money, we, uh, as we mentioned earlier, we monitor 40 global stock markets in real time each and every day of the week. Uh, and when something changes, we notice instantly. We currently share our research with our subscribers in the form of a weekly update that they can get. But but the economies around the world are slowing down, and stock markets, as we mentioned, are in downtrends across the world. Nearly every single market we're tracking is in a downtrend. Some of them are, are in early downtrends. They've just formed the downtrend, so that means there's going to be a lot of money made on the way down if it really does slide. Other markets have been beaten down so far, such as uh, Greece, Italy, uh, then you have other markets like um, natural gas, uh, coal, some uh, uranium, which is not beaten down too much right this second. But you look at some of these commodities, and you see that commodities move in cycles. And so commodities will eventually curl up, and our system will catch those. And we put out alerts every time gold, or every time silver, or every time palladium, or every time oil, or every time uh, the U.S. dollar, or every time the euro. We're watching... Uh, 18 different or maybe 20 different commodities, 40 different global markets, uh, 10 different currencies, and we just track them and watch them. And uh, the Baltic Exchange is not an index that carries as much weight as it used to, but the fact that it's down at an all-time low basically means there's too many shipping boats on the water and there's not enough industrial commodity shipment demand. That's what it means. Well, well, thank you. And, and our resident expert, Larry M. from Santa Clarita, California, there you have that. Jerry, we got a, we, we just a ton of questions for you. Hopefully you can entertain a few, if you don't mind, from Let's listeners from England uh, or U.K., um, Europe, and all across the United States. But before I do, I just love your book. Uh, well, can I say that if, if the title is Bankruptcy of Our Nation, Revised and Expanded, folks, it, it, here it is. Those of you watching live on YouTube, here it is. Uh, it's a fantastic book. I just want to point this out. It's well written, extremely well written. Um, and, and, you know, we, we you, people toss around billions and the number billion and trillion all the time. It's just really, it's it's interesting on page 174 you hear, you have here the difference between a billion and a trillion. And you write just really quickly a few years ago in an effort to place a number uh, one billion into perspective for the American public and advertising agency stated the following. A billion seconds ago, it was 1959. Now think about that, okay? How about this? A billion minutes ago, Jesus walked the earth a billion hours ago, Stone Age. Anyway, uh, it, 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 wow, you talk about putting things in perspective. That is indeed uh, a way to do it. All right. Um, okay. A couple of some questions here from the audience. This is from Marta out of uh, New Hampshire. That's all I'm going to. Yeah, Marta out of New Hampshire wants to know. All right. Um, bottom line here. What what should we be doing with our money after we have food? Uh, all preps done. I'm going to paraphrase this. All preps done and debt managed or paid off. What do you do with your money? Yeah, that's, see, that's the ultimate problem. People think that they want money, and so they work really, really, really hard to get money. 
And what happens to every single... I've never met a person who has lots of money who doesn't have this problem. Uh, and it's the truth. And anybody who has money in the audience knows exactly what I'm saying. Is that you really don't want money. You don't want a big pile of money. That's not really what you want. Because if you have a pile of money, then you have to worry about that pile of money, right? And so, and that's exactly what the uh, what the uh, listener is asking. She, she has money that's invested, maybe investable assets. She already has all of her prep done. And her problem is, what do I do with this money, right? That's that, that's exactly the problem for everybody. I get it. It makes total sense. And and you know why? The reason why we don't want cash, it's a good thing. We don't want a big pile of cash. What we want is cash flow. What we teach our, our subscribers and what, what we teach through our podcasts and the, the uh, financial philosophy that we teach, even here at our own family, is we value income streams over um uh, you know, a lump sum of cash. I would prefer to trade any pile of cash for consistent cash flow because, in the end, that's what you're doing with investments. You're taking the money that you have a big pile of and you're putting it into something, hoping that you're going to get some money back and then make it worth it. So, in essence, what I'm saying is that I would strongly recommend for people who are listening to this, like the listener here, to develop multiple streams of income. Think outside of the box. Right now, you may have a job, or you may be self-employed. Whatever the case is, uh, you may have one income stream there. Attempt to think in your mind how you can develop more. And I, I have found this to be the key to financial freedom. Is uh, you know, of course, and we have a biblical basis for what we do. Uh, so whenever I say that we uh, find this to be true, I, we find it. We find the roots of our system and our plan in the Bible. Uh, the Bible itself. Uh, we want to begin by with a charitable giving plan in mind. Um, but when it comes to creating income streams, uh, we want to develop as many as we possibly can to protect ourselves. We're told to diversify our savings. Uh, we're told to diversify our investments. Why not diversify our income streams? And that's what we teach. Uh, if if uh, listeners in the audience want to go to our website, uh, ftmdaily.com forward slash income you, income you, uh, that is our income university. We have a special on that right now. Um, I think it ends tomorrow uh, on the income university. And there we have 22 online courses that we have created on 22 different income streams that you can create both now or in retirement. 22 different ways that you can make money. And that course is uh, it's on special right now, but just go to ftmdaily.com forward slash income you. You can start watching those videos tonight. We get tons of great feedback from people who just love to learn about new income streams. And then they say, hey, this is it. You know, Maybe I'm going to start this income. We encourage everybody to start a new income stream in 2016. Start a new income stream. Uh, find something. It, you yeah. can do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Remember Abraham was rich in gold, he was rich in silver, he was rich in cattle, he was rich in slaves, and a lot of things going on. You know, the average yuppie retirement plan today is a house and a 401k. You know, that's those are both government-controlled assets. We want to focus on being a bit more diversified and having diversified income. Very good. And, folks, you know, we, we uh, bad news all over the place, right? Well, do something for yourself. And we we are not we are not born or we are not instructed to accept failure, and we have to 
we have to pedal faster sometimes, and we have to think outside of the boxes, as Mr. Robinson said. So FTM Daily, and, and, and click on the appropriate link there. Just begin to learn, because it's you can do it. You can do this. All right. K- Kathy Lee Brad, um, Bradley, she, she actually said, she could use, or we could use her name. Um, said I met you in Florida. Uh, love your information. A lot of praise here for you, by the way. Uh, wants to know if you feel that gold or silver ownership. Now, this is a two-part question. Uh, number one, gold or silver ownership. Do you feel that it, it will ever be? I mean, in the near term, ever be? Um, not criminalized, but made illegal, uh, you know, as it was back in the 30s. Is that possible, given the bad situation we find ourselves in right now economically? Not not anytime soon. Uh, and what I mean by that is that I don't believe that gold would be confiscated for a very, very simple reason, not because it's my philosophy or because I think, you know, I know something that you don't, but instead because it's very simple, it's very uh, very basic. It's economics. If you took all of the gold in the United States and you sold it, you liquidated it, you gave it to the government, it would run the government <clears throat> for a period of days. However, if you raided the, the nation's IRAs and you, and you raided the nation's 401ks, then you could run the economy for a period of years. So for the basic reason that there is just really no sound reason, I can't imagine why Washington would want to virtually piss off uh, (laughs) so many people with guns, right, just to get money to run the government for a few days when there are many other lucrative pies out there. Let me tell you who tells you that gold is going to be confiscated. Gold dealers. Mm-hmm. And let me t- and let me tell you why gold dealers tell you that. The reason why gold and I listen, we have the premier one of the premier gold dealers uh, who comes on our show every single week, Tom Cloud, 40 years in the business. I pay very little over spot, but so many people today Will buy gold, and they will pay. They will pay outrageous amounts. Uh, be very, very careful when you call a call center, because these people are trained to to upsell you. And then what they say is, they say back in in back in the 1930s, uh, numismatic coins, collector coins, were not uh, confiscated. It was only the bullion coins that they wanted. And so, therefore, you should own numismatic coins. Well, co- coincidentally, numismatic coins often cost uh, ten to fifty times, uh, or ten to fifty percent more in premium. That goes in much of that that goes into the dealer's pocket. So you can imagine that he wants to sell you numismatic coins, which were not rated by the government. I think it's a bunch of malarkey. I think that if you have physical gold in your hand. The government is going to have to come out to your house and take your gold. Will that happen? If that happens, you got bigger problems than, uh, <laughs> yeah, than losing so. your gold, right? So okay. that's a that's a Mad Max scenario. And if and I wouldn't live in fear of that. There's just no way you can control. If, if they come, if they want to come to your house and take your gold, then you know what? It's probably over. Yeah, I I 
tend to agree with you on that. I mean, they're going to take, in my view, they're going to take you instead of your gold. But anyway, um, they can I, certainly I, they can certainly get your 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 electronic assets much easier. Why would they go to the trouble of sending out black trucks to take your gold? Whenever exactly. they, it, it wouldn't even finance the government for but a few days. It just it doesn't make sense. It's it's a theory okay. that only it's a theory that only benefits gold dealers and no one else. Okay. Fantastic. And before we get to Russ's question, I've got a question for you. You, um, you had mentioned, um, you said you, we pay very little over, or, uh, very little over spot. You had mentioned outrageous uh, uh, spot, you know, cost. Yeah, I'll, I'll get it right here in a second. Hold on a minute. Um, for an ounce of gold, we'll say, or, or yeah, I'll, I'll just say for an ounce of gold. What is, and this is the question that's coming from me now, if, if I was to walk into a, a store, to buy an ounce of gold, you know, a, a gold dealer. Um, what what's the customary premium I would be paying, um, or or a hundred ounces of gold, or whatever the average person buying online would or buying in the store would be buying. I mean, what, what's what, what's what's getting? You can tell I. I'm sorry about this. You can tell I never. I don't buy gold, so I don't know even how to ask the question. But uh, how much over spot would I be. I should be expecting to pay. Does that make sense? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's really hard to say. I mean, obviously, you want to be paying very, very little over spot, uh, but of course, uh, you have to realize that there's also there's also a cost. I mean, there's a spot price, but then there's also the price that the dealer gets it at. And I'm I'm no expert on this. We have our own gold unit, but you know, in, in our in, in in Tom Cloud, but. Right. Uh, I, I'm not the gold dealer, right? I, so I don't sell it. But um, but basically, whenever I go to buy gold, I, I go to Tom, and people can sign up. And people can go to ftmdaily.com forward slash gold, and they can get free uh, precious metals alerts from Tom Cloud every single week. And I tell you what, they're video updates from a Christian worldview on gold right. and silver. Uh, there's no hype. It's just good information to keep you in the loop if you invest in gold and silver. Just go to ftmdaily.com forward slash gold. And uh, sign up for those, but you know he's the guy to ask. I mean, he would he would be able to say, well, whenever I go to buy from him, um, it's it's always uh, very reasonable. We're talking two to three percent um, is what we're paying, as opposed to you know ten to fifty percent, as you might pay some of these big eight hundred numbers that you would call gotcha. well, these big call centers. All right. And, and coincidentally, I did receive a call. I mean, a solicitation call to my home. Uh, somebody wanting to me to invest in uh, numismatic coins, and it was just—it was kind of a freaky call. I, I just—I did not obviously pursue it, but it was just a really interesting and kind of freaky call. So, yeah, indeed. And I apologize for not being very articulate moments ago. Um, my sometimes my tongue gets in, in the way of my. my <laughs> no big deal. But, you, but you're but you're right. There are many call centers out there that do that, and they just yeah. call out. Yeah, it's that's that's very common. Um, Russ from New Mexico wants to know your thoughts on the war on cash. I I see headlines everywhere. Uh, Zero hedge, silver doctors. And they're increasingly yeah, more dire. Yeah, go, uh, yeah, we were talking about Larry that Larry Summers says he wants to kill the $100 bill, um, and they go on to say that you know this ultimately will lead to negative interest rates if they're able to take the $100 bill out of the circulation as it is uh, they're doing so with the $500 euro uh, 
and Drudge points out that the justification for eliminating the cash will eradicate crime in the words of Summers make the world a better place it is merely a ruse for the real agenda which is implementing negative interest rates and um, and it goes on from there uh, this war on cash we've seen countries across the world uh, from Norway uh, to different parts of Europe uh, to India become cashless societies yeah, I mean, it, it, Russ wants to know basically. Well, to, to kind of supplement your question, he wants to know um, the bottom line here with respect to the war on on, on cash money versus the electronic money. Is this going to come soon? Can we are we are we going to see a complete digitization of our economy? I guess is the bottom line. I think I think so. I mean, I I definitely think so. I mean, there's been several stories that came out. I mean, there was a Larry Summers today, but that was just the uh, that was the cherry on the on the uh, on top of the brownie or whatever on the Sunday. I mean, there was the ECB. They're talking about scrapping the 500 euro note that came out earlier uh, in the week, and then Germany is just dealing with something massive right now. They had a plan to introduce a limit on cash transactions to about 5,000 euros, and that's getting fierce resistance. Uh, from the German population, you know, but but we're seeing this. We're seeing these proposals to ban cash payments. We're seeing these proposals to eliminate these larger denomination notes. Uh, personally, I don't carry a whole lot of cash on me. I use you know a debit card. Uh, I think most people are kind of in that mode. People use gift cards now. We're very used to using chips now. The credit cards have the chip. You just slide the chip uh when you go to the you know to the cash registry you just slide the card in and it reads the chip pretty soon that chip ends up going into your body because it's just much easier why in the world would you want to carry a card that you could lose and people will begin to think that's a wonderful idea for the same reason that they like many of the other things that they like i don't know i don't know why uh we're we're drifting the way we're drifting but we are and people will likely embrace uh the invasion of their bodies by monetary authorities to allow them to have a wonderful chip, and maybe there'll be a designer chip. Maybe you can have the Powder Puff Girl, uh, you know, in, in bed, and maybe I can have the Superman one. I don't know. I mean, maybe they'll have one for kids and pets. But regardless, it's coming. And the reason why they want this is because it gives them total control. I mean, there is just absolutely nothing else better that these guys want than being able to control the monetary system like this. I mean, this is kind of, and they, they're going to tell you they kind of need this. Um, managing all of these economies with all of this cash that can be used for terrorism, it's just not working anymore, guys. We really need you to support this new electronic form of money. Um, people are embracing it. Bitcoin is becoming more popular. I see it coming, absolutely. And, and then what, though? The, the, how, at that point, at that point, Mr. Robinson, what do we do as Christians, I guess? We can't, there's no way we can comply, can we? Well, I mean, again, the I think it would be foolish to read what we read in Revelation 13 and then to comply with something like that, sure, because it does sound like it could be something like that. I think we need to use wisdom and discernment. I think, you know, I think God's people will know uh, deception. Uh, I believe that the Bible does say that even the elect would, you know, would be deceived if they could, if it was, if it were possible. I don't believe the elect can be deceived. I believe that if you are part of the elect, you will understand what's happening. But you need to be awake, and you need to be aware, and you need to be open. And um, uh, and so, 
as far as what happens whenever it's introduced. I mean, I think it's the same way with the NSA. I mean, look, uh, Christians don't have a whole lot of problem with the NSA uh, spying on them. If you look at evangelical support for the NSA, it's huge. Evangelicals are very concerned about uh, safety. And so they're okay with the NSA snooping on their conversations. Uh, they're also uh, very, very open uh, to other types of intrusions of their privacy. Uh, they're also very open to the CIA torture report. Who was the number one supporter of the CIA torture report, uh, people group-wise? Evangelicals. They love them some torture, apparently. They love to see CIA torture of brown people. And so you, so you have, in essence, you have this group of people who identify themselves as evangelicals. Why would they not take a chip that goes in their brain uh, if it's put out by Apple? When have you not bought an Apple product? Oh, Right, <laughs> yeah. or when have you not bought a uh, a Google product? It'll be it'll be it'll be devised, or maybe it comes in a Google Glass. Maybe Google Glass. I mean, here's the thing, you know, speculating on what it's going to be, I don't know. But here's what I do know is that whenever it does arrive, whatever it is, um, I believe I have enough faith that my God will give me enough discernment to know it and to avoid it, and I keep my eyes open. But I don't know exactly what form it'll come in, but I expect to discern it when it, when I see it. Got it. All right. All right. And I think you, well, RTL asked your thoughts on Bitcoin. Um, I'll just leave it at that. What are your thoughts on Bitcoin as an alternative for, you know, holding money in U.S. dollars? Yeah, I'm, I have a love-hate relationship with Bitcoin. I'm not a. I wouldn't call myself a fan. I'm an owner of Bitcoin. I've owned Bitcoin for a long time. Uh, I have a friend who is uh, high up in Bitcoin world. Trace Meyer uh, told me about Bitcoin a long time ago. Uh, he's a very happy man, or at least he. <laughs> he at one point he was extremely happy, um, and now he's still very happy. But Bitcoin has certainly come down from its highs. Uh, Bitcoin and other types of alternative types of these digital currencies are, it's like a Pandora's box. They've been opened. The blockchain technology is incredible. I think it's amazing what they can do with it, how they can apply it in, in uh, the world of finance and in the uh, healthcare sector. I mean, the blockchain technology itself is, is a wow factor for anybody who fully grasps it and understands it. But... Uh, you know, the, the public embrace is still somewhat slow. I mean, it certainly has been adopted, but it seems like the enthusiasm is slowed, and it certainly has developed and shown in the trend of the price. So Bitcoin prices are still, uh, you know, submerged from where they were in their peaks. I think it's a dangerous technology that can be misused. I don't know who, I don't know who controls it. Uh, so therefore, I own some. And I think everybody should go through the process of understanding how they work so they're not neophytes. You should understand how the basic system works. Uh, you don't have to necessarily transact in them. But you know, buying one or buying two is kind of like buying a lottery ticket. There are projections that every single Bitcoin will eventually have to be split down because there are finite numbers of Bitcoins. And once they're all mined, that'll be it. Unlike the U.S. dollar, they don't print anymore. There's only so many Bitcoins. And so there are projections from very well-known uh, analysts who suggest that each Bitcoin could eventually be worth $1 million. People who buy them around two to $400, uh, they would be very happy if that happens. It doesn't have to happen, but there, there are analysts who say that over time, because of the finite nature of Bitcoin, if the demand 
uh, continues at its present pace, it's not un unrealistic to see the price of Bitcoin rise dramatically. Now, whether that happens or not is irrelevant. It doesn't matter if that happens. What matters is, is will it still be around? And I think it will. I think that, that Bitcoin and other types of digital currencies are here to stay, um, and um, uh, there's still a lot of work to be done. Gotcha. One more question for you. This is from Ralph out of, out of uh, upstate New York, and this is a really interesting question. I don't even know if you've ever got this question before. I certainly haven't got a question like this. Jolin just came back from Western Europe, has a significant amount of euros, a couple of thousand euros. Based on what you said earlier, keep them, turn them in, cash them in. What would you do? Uh, does now he's he's in the states? He just holds them yeah. as a as a form of he, savings. Well, okay. he, he was traveling in Europe, came back uh, mm -hmm. with a couple of thousand euros. I'm not sure exactly how or why, but nonetheless, here here you go. So he's got a couple of thousand euros, and mm -hmm. just wondering, based on what you said earlier about the diversity of cash. Understanding, of course, what you meant—not not you know holding it in your wallet, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, but but he said you know hey is it you know should what the heck should I hang on to them or should I should I cash them out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well you know think about it this way. I mean most people are, are scared to death to hold foreign currencies because they you know they, they think they're risky or something. But the reality is people in Europe are. You know, they, they hold the euro overnight just like you hold the dollar overnight. Nobody's worried about it. Uh, so it's okay to hold foreign currencies, and people should, uh, you know, get over their fear of that. You know, the, the for example, the Swiss franc looks kind of interesting right now, uh, as does the euro. The euro is beginning to kind of bottom out and begin to curl up as the dollar is kind of doing the opposite. So, you know, right now, if I was holding some euros that I didn't really know what to do with, I wouldn't be in a hurry to get rid of them because right now they are very low. Um, and they could likely go up, but I would keep my eye on it for sure. But yeah. they're in an interesting place. It was just a really interesting and different kind of question. Never, never mm -hmm. got that kind of question before. Here's a, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. For, I mean, for example, in our system right now, uh, the long-term trend on the euro is red, but it, it's nearing a green right now. It's nearing a, it's nearing a new uptrend. So that could happen, you know, maybe in the next couple of weeks. So I wouldn't be in a hurry to get rid of them right now. Question from Deborah M. Free Jerry says, I would like to develop my own business. How do I determine what type of business to develop? I have lost my job recently due to elimination and previously worked uh, as a contractor per diem. You know, whenever so I how? wanted to... Yeah, whenever I wanted to start a company, I spent a lot of time at Barnes and Noble. I was in bookstores and libraries. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time reading different things. I was trying to find my niche. You know, what did I want to focus on? What did, what did I want to do? Now, I finally settled on two things. Um, you know, of course, I'm a trader by by trade, I should say. Uh, so I trade, uh, and I'm also an economist. But my, but I really don't do any kind of uh, economic consulting anymore. So it's mainly just a trader. But what I do is I. Uh, I run a couple of different businesses. We have uh, mainly Internet businesses, and that's what I'll focus on for her. You need to find the area that you want to be in. Internet right now is still wild, wild west. You wouldn't believe it, um, you, but it really is. There are still so many huge opportunities and ways to make money. You can buy existing websites. And you can trade your cash for cash flow. You can... Uh, you can you can build a site and build a blog and you know create advertisements from that. You can do affiliate marketing. Uh, so there there's many different things you can do online. Uh, you can create your own product. You can also uh, do something bricks and mortars. But I think in the end you need to really focus on uh, being online because it creates automation. One thing that you got to think about when you start a business is 
what do I want my life to be? Many people create a business and then they end up just creating a job. No, that's not really what you want to do. When you create a business, you want to become uh, somebody who has more time, not less. And the only way to do that is to have a system that you can automate. So one thing that I would do as a, as a guy who's been owning businesses for a long time, if I had to do it over again, I would focus on businesses that are uh, extremely time manageable, that I could manage very easily and online fits that bill for me. I can do that from anywhere. I can be in another country and check my email, uh, fulfill my orders, do whatever I've got to do, uh, and you know make a lot of money from online from anywhere in the world. I wouldn't want to open a hot dog stand because I couldn't do it from you know overseas. Uh, that's why I like the internet. Beautiful. All right, Jerry, we have reached the end of our program already. We want to thank you again so much for coming on, folks. FTMDaily.com is the website, FTMDaily.com. And Jerry's book, Bankruptcy of Our Nation, uh, it's an Amazon bestseller. It's a great and book. Man. I would advise everybody to buy it and listen to his podcast, FTM Weekly. Uh, FTM Weekly. Go to his website, FTMDaily.com, and you can find all the information, his book, his podcast, and even the subscriber section there. Um, Jerry, it's been uh, a quick two hours. We appreciate your time and your insight, and thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it's been a pleasure, guys. Thank you so much, and keep up with the good work. All right, sir. God you bless you. You kind. too, and we'll we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you, sir. Folks, that'll do it for us tonight. Uh, what a great two hours with Mr. Cherry Robinson. Yeah. Uh, wow. Tomorrow, um, we will be on Pastor Paul Bagley's show. Or no, I didn't I'm get sorry. That memo. I'm sorry. I didn't get Tomorrow, that memo. Pastor Paul Begley will be on our show. There you go. Friday, we'll be on Pastor Paul Begley's show from one to three. All right, but he'll be our guest tomorrow night. Uh, it's gonna be an interesting program tomorrow. And of course, yeah. he's got a, he's got a show, very popular show, the Coming Apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. He hasn't been on our show in a long time, so uh, it's gonna be interesting to get his take on world events. Very popular. Yes. Well, on behalf of Doug and Joe Hagman, and on or point man for programming administration in the southeastern United States, J.D. of NeptuneDiaries.com, our director of communications from New England, Rhonda of Rhonda'sBlust.com, our news director rooted deep behind Jihadist Enemy Lines, Joe Charles and everyone else, producer and director of studio, studio operations, Eric the Tech. Thank you, Todd at Global Star Radio Night. Uh, working for all here. Have a good night. Good night. Global Star Radio Network.